This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred Philippus. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 125. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Joe. And this is Stella. And as you may have heard in the last episode, Don is <laughs> with us, uh, but uh, Don is going to be producing the commentaries for us on the website, as well as doing some stuff over on the website. So we will miss Don, but at the same time, we will carry on as if he was here. All right, so we are covering the comic book news and comic book reviews from the weeks of September 29th through October 12th, and uh, we have a total of five books to cover. We will be, in fact, covering Forever Evil Arkham War, as uh, I've deemed it something that uh, could possibly affect the Batman universe in the long run, um, so we will be covering it. And uh, we do have a decent amount of news to go over, as well as a good chunk of listener Q&A. So let's get straight into comic book news. What have you got for me? The very first thing we've got to talk about is uh, uh, there was a slew of news that came out that DC announced right before uh, New York Comic Con happened this previous weekend. And the first thing they announced was on October 10th, they announced that uh, starting spring of 2014, there is a new weekly Batman series that will be coming out that will be called Batman Eternal. Uh, this was announced by USA Today, and it will be overseen by Scott Snyder and feature a variety of different writers like James Tinian IV, John Lehman, Ray Fox, and Tim Seeley. And uh, the only artist announced so far is Jason Fabick. Um, as far as what we are to expect from this new title, uh, Scott Snyder said, It's a place for me to be able to work with good friends in terms of shaping Gotham in a bigger, grander, and more game-changing way than ever before. We're going to give you the biggest, craziest, and most fun stuff we've ever done on the book and in the world of Gotham. We want this to be a place where you can get to tell a story about anything you want in Gotham, so as long as we're moving this big story forward in the background. You'll see a bombastic arcs as well, but there will be plenty of room for Ray to explore some of the darker, more mystical aspects of Gotham that he loves, or Tim to explore some of the crime that we haven't seen before. So as I said, this is uh, set to start in spring of 2014, and obviously this is going to be part of the uh, celebration for Batman's 75th anniversary, which also happens to start next year as well. I think that there is some... There's a nice idea about this, um, and I think that it's definitely a chance for them to really kind of bring all the Bat books together and have one continuity. The only issue is that not only is it another Bat title, but it means another four issues a month. So I I think we've all been pretty... I think we're all not necessarily sick of the amount of Bat titles are, but I think we all agree that there are kind of too many in DC are kind of milking it for all it's worth, and, and this is kind of just adding a whole kind of pile on top of the pile we already have um i think that the idea of it could be cool and i don't think it would necessarily work as a monthly if it's kind of underlying stories because i imagine it would have to stay fairly current but the fact that we're getting so many new books is kind of that's that's gonna be a bit of an issue it it, maybe if they're smaller issues and don't cost the 
299 that might be a bit better but um i imagine they're gonna charge as much as they can for it and um i imagine that we're gonna get another artist announced soon at least one because i, I it'd be amazing if jason faber could do an issue a week but i don't think any artist could really handle that but uh it'll be interesting to see more news about this as it comes out Oh my gosh, weekly <laughs> weekly books are insane. Uh, you know, I had to deal with it um, when I was on another podcast, and it's just so much. I remember doing fifty two and then countdown. I collected all of those, and it is sometimes just overwhelming the the sheer amount that comes out. Um, so hopefully, they know that that is in fact overwhelming, and that they're going to do their best to make these stories really interesting and really draw us in. Now, when I was hearing this sort of rundown about mystic entities, you know, I thought to myself, wait a minute, isn't that really what Batwoman is all about? But also, if I think back to that one Batman-Superman uh, team-up that I believe uh, Tinian wrote, yeah, so I feel like that was almost a way to really uh, step into this and, and get a feel if people are going to accept it because that was, it was mystical. There, there's some supernatural elements coming out. So I guess that was leading into this. Now, wow, another Batman title. Um, I, I'm just afraid of getting worn out with Batman title, but hey, Wolverine fans out there, I'm sure have that feeling anyways with all the Wolverine books. I, I think it has a great deal of potential. And just like Joe said, it would be great to have all the members to really make a family because I think that the thing that New 52 has really been lacking is that the Batman family has really been a group of indi- individual members making up kind of a family. But compared to new f- uh, pre-New 52, when they really would work together and had a good relationship, this is not where we are. So I'm hoping that maybe this will almost erase what happened with death of the family and really get great team-ups together. So sort of be like um, old-school detective comics maybe and, and really have good team-ups going on. I think this is a really interesting idea. There's a little bit more information about some of the characters that they said will be focused on, which we'll get to in a second. But it, it they are they have stated uh, Dinian was over on his uh, Twitter page. He made a comment about how they're going to be focusing on Tim Drake a lot more. And it really seems like a lot of the stuff that we've been complaining about a lot lately seems like there this is the fix. Um, I do also have a slight problem with there being it being a weekly series. There really isn't any weekly series outside of the digital comics, which are only ninety nine cents and they're digital. Um, so if it is going to be a two ninety nine book every single week, you know that's adding a good chunk of money to your pull list already. But then for us here on the podcast, that's as Joe pointed out, that's four more books that we're going to be covering. Um, we know that this this series will at least be somewhat connected to continuity, so it's not something that we're not going to cover. We will be covering this series. Um, I am kind of interested in some of the creators that were announced. Um, I originally, when this was first announced, it was right away on Thursday morning that this this uh, this news broke. Some of the writers attached to it, I was kind of interested of how they were going to be on this book plus some of the other books that they're currently on. Uh, Ray Fox has been on a number of books. Um, John Lehman has been on Detective Comics. Scott Snyder's still doing Batman. And 
they, you know, they, and he's also got the Superman Unchained series. And so, I mean, he's got a lot of stuff on his plate to begin with. So I was kind of concerned, especially since it's a weekly series, but I guess if one writer is, if, if Scott Snyder is really just doing the overseeing of it to make it sure everything works together, and then the other writers are just writing one issue a month, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But um, the artists, I'm waiting to hear what artists are going to be attached because Fabic cannot be the only one attached. You brought up an interesting, an interesting point in that um, how they're going to split up writing duties because I hope that we kind of get an arc from each person i don't want like week one uh first issue of this arc by ray forks and then the first week of the next month you get the second part but you know between them you've got three other starts to a different arc i also don't want four different writers trying to tackle the same arc because that was a that's i thought was part of the point is that you know ray forks says i read some of his stuff he's doing like his co-writer on justice league dark and um constantine i think so he does do a lot of this darker, uh, sort of more magical stuff. So if the whole point is he's brought it on so that he can then go, oh, I want to do a, this kind of story in Batman, then like, what are the other three writers going to do? Are they going to try and like fit his style? Cause it, then you run into issues with inconsistencies in the same arc and like they'll, they could be completely different tonally in the same month and stuff. So I kind of hope that. They like write, I guess, write it all, and then that comes out weekly, and then it moves on to the next person. But it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, I, I, I'm doubting that's going to be the case. I'm really thinking what's going to end up happening is they're going to have. It's going to end up being similar to what they do with uh, Batman Beyond, where each week it's a different character that they focus on, or something like that. And and that's not to say that that's exactly what's going to happen, but we know with Batman Beyond, there's, you know, there, there we'll see one week of Batman Beyond, we'll see another week of Justice League Beyond, and then it'll, it'll go back and forth, but when it's collected, it's all collected under the one Batman Beyond Universe uh, print copy when it's, when it's published in print, and the Justice League stuff is just thrown in, and it's like separate story arcs that they combine in print format, but, uh, I honestly, I, the way DC is, I could see it being one writer f- per week, per month, or one writer for every week in the month, and then it turns out that, you know, eventually when they collect it in trade format, they release it in full story form, and it'll be like Batman Eternal entering the name of whatever the story arc was from the one writer. That's probably what will end up happening. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either. All right. So the, the interesting thing about this was when initially John Lehman was announced that he was going to be on this Batman Eternal series. That was kind of interesting because as I said, he was on, he's, he's been on Detective Comics for, you know, over a year now. So, uh, later on that morning, uh, on October 10th, DC announced that there is actually going to be a new creative team starting in February for Detective Comics. After a 100 page issue of Detective Comics number 27 is released in January, uh, former Flash writer and artist team of Francis Manipool uh, and Brian Busoletto will be taking over Detective Comics. They are pl- planning on making use of the detective in the title for their run, and they want to show Batman as the protector of Gotham. Um, this is some of the stuff that they had to say about the uh, the announcement. We want to bring him closer to his roots and be more of a street-level type hero. His superheroics will still be present, but the investigative part of Batman will be at the forefront. Similar to the protective nature of a father to his child, his mission to keep it safe will always be border on obsession. 
Unlike other heroes who protect their home because they want to, Batman has to. He's going to be such a fun character to sink our teeth into. Stylistically, we will use the tools in our toolbox to capture what we think the Bat Universe looks and feels like. Gotham won't look like Central City, so you won't be seeing all the bright reds, orange, and yellows that define Flash's world. Um, so their run will begin in February 2014, as I mentioned. Um, if you've been reading Flash, they, they've, those two have actually done a really good job on Flash, and I'm really interested to see what they do. Um, I, I think that they could do a really good job and do a different take. I do think it's funny that they make a point to say that they're going to focus on the detective aspect because for the most part, there was no detective aspect that much when Tony Daniel launched the series. I'd say John Lehman did a better job at bringing a lot of the stories down to like the street level that they mentioned. Um, th- there is detective elements, not as much as obviously we'd like there to be, but there, it's definitely been more grounded recently with uh, John Lehman on the book. Yeah, I, I've been reading uh, The Flash since the beginning, and I've really enjoyed their, especially recently, I've been really enjoying their uh, story arcs and, and their pairing as writer and writers and artists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's been quite a fun book, and it, they've been one of the longest-running creative teams, so it's going to be interesting to see them tackle a different book, um, especially as Francis Manipal, uh, well, both of them, I guess, have been on Flash since even before the New 52 as just artists. Um, they've always done, uh, they've always had like great layouts and stuff and, and some really interesting art choices. So it's going to be fun seeing that in uh, the Batman universe. And um, yeah, I really like the idea of it actually being a detective story. Um, whether it's more street level or not, I don't, necessarily mind so much but i i think that would lend itself more to not just not detective in the way of was it dark knight or dark knight rises where he just you know shoots four different walls and works out how the bullet entered and it's like well <laughs> that's detective for you but uh it'll be fun to see them actually tackling it on on a more realistic kind of really seeing how his mind works and working stuff out if they did that i think it would be really good i'm actually looking forward to this as much as i've enjoyed john layman I mean, I just hope that each issue has like a detective mode that you can enter in. And, and the first, when you get a subscription, you get a pair of glasses with you so you can see in this, <laughs> yeah, you know, like the game. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, so it's, is, I think it was detective that maybe, oh, I guess it was the annual kind of was split up into several stories. That was, so- and, what would have been 900 if they'd kept the yeah. order going. Oh, I think okay. It was 19. Gotcha. Um, so I feel like maybe we're, we're sort of going back to that several different stories. I love the fact that they're getting into, um, more of the detective way of Batman because I feel like, just like, you know, my two cohorts have said, you know, we've, we've seen other aspects of Batman, but we don't always see really his detective skills at work. Um, and, and I think there's certainly more to explore with that. I also hope that we can start bringing in more characters and maybe there'll be some team-ups because I think that's really the way that Detective Comics always was is that there were great stories, but then you could also have like a short story about um, some other character that you may not know. And perhaps this will lead into, we don't know what's going to happen with Mambat, but maybe Mambat is going to be able to to work with Batman, and I can only hold out hope that Jason Bard may pop up. But in any case, I think that stepping away, if we've got Eternal, I think this is the way to go, because if Eternal's going to be dealing with supernatural elements, then it'll be great to have a more normal 
uh, book because I, I think we need to have a wide range of things that we're reading. So I, I'm hoping that it won't be too overwhelming, but I think that this is the way to go. The other bit of news we have also deals with Batman Eternal. Um, on October 11th, the Batman panel happened, and Steve J. Rogers from the website, he uh, was in attendance at New York Comic Con and reported all of the things that they talked about at the Batman panel. But the biggest news they announced is that Stephanie Brown will re- be returning to DC Comics um, in Batman Eternal. Um, James Tinian will be actually doing the story that introduces Stephanie Brown to the New 52, and uh, she will be spoiler. And Scott Snyder had to, he said this regarding Stephanie Brown's return. He said, we know that there's characters that you guys have been really vocal about. Your guys' love of Stephanie Brown have been so inspiring to us. We're really proud to announce that she's coming back in a new weekly series, Batman Eternal, in a big way. Dan DiDio is in the audience to yell at us for telling you that. Uh, no one was trying to shelve her. It was more about finding the right time to reintroduce her. So, as it turns out, uh, what they've been saying for year, for, well, I should, I, I was gonna say years, but it has been years, it's been about two years, um, that's, uh, they don't, you know, that they, they will bring her in as soon as they have the opportunity and at the right time. That's what they've been saying all along, whether or not that's actually true, and it just so happens that this, you know, happened, um, well, she's coming back. James Tinian said on his Twitter page, uh, that he is, uh, He's really excited about bringing her in, and uh, Scott Snyder said that it was Tinian who actually came up with the idea of how to bring Stephanie Brown to the New 52. So whether or not it's the spoiler slash Stephanie Brown we know, whether or not she's ever been Batgirl, I'm sure they'll never actually say she's been Batgirl, but uh, whether or not she's the spoiler that we know based off of the events that have transcribed in the redone version of Tim Drake that we've seen in the New 52, we'll have to see. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's fantastic that she's coming back, but we could end up with another Tim Drake on the hands where it's not really the same character and is only there uh, with name recognition. But, you know, uh, hopefully it's going to be the character that we all want and love so much. I'm sure you know you all out there probably thinking, Stella's so stoked about this. And I love Stephanie Brown, but when I heard this, I, I don't think I had any emotional reaction whatsoever. If anything, um, more fear and nervousness. Now, just like Do- Donovan said, you know, I trust Snyder, but da 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 da. And, and I too trust Snyder. I mean, there are some things that happened especially Death of the Family, that I'm like, what were you thinking? But for the most part, like, I trust in him, and, and I respect him as a writer. I think he knows what he's doing. But Stephanie Brown, our version of Stephanie Brown, the character that we love, I don't think she belongs in the New 52. It's just not It's not going to work well. It, it's like, I can't think of a good metaphor. But the fact is, if we look at the New 52, it's all dark books. I mean, we have the exception of, you know, Little Gotham and some other fun titles, but technically they're not in the New 52. So you're bringing this bright character and you're going to put her in this dark world and that is going to change her drastically. Is This is what I am fearing. And if Barbara Gordon can be an example of how awesome characters can be destroyed, this is what I'm thinking it may happen with Stephanie Brown. Um, the fact that she's coming back as spoiler also concerns me because people hated her when she was spoiler. I mean, she was obnoxious. She met things up um whether purposely or not because she was very untrained 
And so I'm, I'm just afraid we're like starting from scratch. It's going to be from scratch and she may not be the bubbly love that we have. My other thought was, I wonder if the Batman and Robin series, if the Robin, that space has been left open for this very reason. And that perhaps after some time with Steph as spoiler, Batman maybe accepts her and she's the new Robin. I don't know. But I guess in summary, I'm just nervous because I don't think that the character that everyone really enjoyed is going to be the same character that we are about to read in Eternal. Uh, And I hope, I'm going to be the first person to say that, I hope I'm really wrong, but uh, I'm I'm just nervous about it. All right, so the, the the other stuff that happened in New York Comic Con in relation to Batman, there really a lot of the information that they discussed was stuff that we already have known from the solicitations that have been released. Um, we're recording this on October 13th, which is a Sunday, and uh, by now I'm pretty sure the solicitations have been posted on the website as they have been released, so... Um, among the solicitations for January, I don't imagine a whole lot of surprises, but one of the things that I do see that we, that, that has been mentioned is that Detective Comics, uh, number 27 special. It's going to be 104 pages and it's going to have a bunch of writers doing a bunch of different stories. And that's actually John Lehman's last issue as well on Detective Comics. And I, you know, we, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think it's interesting because when you look at, the timing of everything, it seems just a little convenient that Detective Comics number 27 happens to be releasing on the first month of the 75th year that Batman has been around. I think that's just a little interesting. I don't know if they actually planned that or if that happened, you know, that just happened to happen like that. Um, DC's not very, they have not been very good about planning specific things time-wise. Um, the fact that it wasn't until June that they really did anything for the Superman 75th anniversary. Um, and I'm going to be the first one to say I believe that Batman is a bigger character than Superman <gasps> and has a lot more fans. <gasps> so because of that, and honestly, I don't think we have to really argue about that. I mean, we can look at box office returns and compare those. But uh, the the reality is I don't think they're going to drop the ball with uh, Batman with the 75th anniversary. I imagine them they're going to be doing a lot of different things. And Batman Eternal is one of them. The Detective Comics number 27 oversized issue is another. But uh, I imagine there's going to be a lot more things to come related to the 75th anniversary. But the two comic ones are probably going to be the, the Detective Comics 27 oversized issue and the Batman Eternal series. Outside of that, we also know that there's other things happening in other forms of media with uh, the movies and things like that. And uh, I'm sure there's other things that are going to be announced soon as well. But uh, I'm positive that they won't be dropping the ball, and that's why we're finding out about this Batman series now, and they're planning on launching in the spring rather than uh, what they did with Superman Unchained, where they didn't announce until later in the year, and then it didn't come out till June. So, nonetheless... Uh, Expect more things related to the 75th anniversary to happen. All right, the the last thing I want to talk about is, it's not really news, it's kind of news, but uh, I just wanted to uh, briefly go over some some sales numbers that happened for the month of uh, September. So overall, DC actually outsold Marvel with uh, their Villains Month initiative that they had last month. 
Um, their market share actually went jumped from 30.16% up to a 40.39%, and Marvel fell from 36.3 down to 29.83. Um, obviously, some of the sales were boosted by the 3D covers, and DC also sold about 2% more graphic novels and other things than they did in past months. Um, DC had five of the top selling comics of, uh, top 10 selling comics for the month, including Forever Evil at number one, Batman number 23.1, which was the Joker special, Batman 23.2, the Riddler special, Batman 23.4, the Bane special, and Batman 24.3, the Penguin special. So, it begs the question of whether or not those villains, I want to ask, I want to ask two questions. Number one, do those villains warrant having their issues in the top 10 and the second question is do you think that they could possibly be in the top 10 because they are batman 24 point whatever whilst i think that those are classic and recognizable villains that people would want to read stories of i think it's everything to do with the fact that it's batman Mm -hmm. um even limited comics buyers who are let's say uh standing order or subscribed or whatever to batman they would have got all of those issues as part of that. So unless you canceled them or, or decided not to get them when you got to the shop, uh, you would have been buying those anyway. Um, I I also think that the fact that the market got boosted so much, the fact that the, uh, the graphic novels and stuff, that's great. And I think the, but DC for the most part, the standard price is two ninety nine. Whereas if you got the 3d motion covers, the standard was, Three ninety nine this month, so you're getting a lot of extra money there. I do think that they would have brought more people into the shop, though, and that's probably where the graphic novel things are coming from. Uh, people going, oh wow, it's a cool cover, going into the shop, and then you know maybe buying one of those and saying, oh, what else should I get while I'm in here? That sort of stuff. But regardless, if these sort of gimmicks continue to work, I'm sure we'll see them every September. But um, uh, yeah, I don't mind if it's keeping the company afloat. No matter what their business decisions. Uh yeah, totally agree there with Joe that these are it's a great group of villains here. Um, but I, I think it's it's more because of the the Batman title that is pulling it. I would have laughed out loud if Ventriloquist or Joker's daughter popped up on this list. That would have been <laughs> Yeah, that would have been hilarious. Uh it's just disappointing also that um i mean some of these weren't like spectacular but i think some really good ones like poison ivy it was my favorite i thought that it was really well done you guys may disagree with me and the man bat i thought was a really good one and the killer croc one as well those that didn't pop up on the list and probably just because they were in um the off titles mostly detective and then i think dark knight one of them so the one thing that's really interesting is when you look at some of the sales numbers between uh, the books at the three ninety nine cover price, which had the three D covers and the two ninety nine covers. Uh, clearly, people were not completely taken away by the fact that uh, there was three D covers because so the number five comic for the month was the Batman the twenty three point one, which which was the Joker one. That was the three ninety nine three D cover issue. But uh, the standard issue, which was $2.99, uh, was actually at number 49. And now, obviously, the the main one with the 3D covers, the one that's going to be more produced than the other one, in my opinion, uh, that sold 107,000 issues. 
but the standard cover actually sold just about 40,000 issues. So, yes, there's a d- the big difference, but when you compare some of the cover prices between, um, when you, when you compare some of the other ones, there's actually certain books that the standard actually sold more than the 3D cover. And I'm specifically, uh, referencing Joker's Daughter, which happened to sell, um, roughly about, uh, 2,000 more copies of the standard edition than the 3D cover. And I'm thinking that's because people, um, were convinced that it wasn't worth spending the extra dollar for the story or, <laughs> Why would you want a 3D cover of that anyways? Let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> it's just interesting because uh, some of them, some of these issues, like I'm looking through here, uh, some of the standard issues for the, for example, uh, when you combine Detective Comics uh, 23.2, which was the Harley Quinn, you combine the standard and the uh, 3D cover for the month, it's actually almost, it, it would actually put her in the top 20 comics of the month if you combine the two together. So it's interesting because there's different cover prices and there's different covers. They actually have, they actually took these numbers and made them two different spots on the list. So I think that's kind of interesting just to note that Um, when you look at a lot of the other villains outside of the, those four in the top 10, the majority of the Batman characters were still within the top 40 with Man Bat, Killer Croc, Scarecrow, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Court of Owls, Ra's al Ghul, and Two-Face all being within the 25 to 40, 40 spot slots. Um, it's not until you get down to Ventriloquist, Clayface, Mr. Freeze that, uh, this, they start getting into close to the, uh, 100 issues. Are the 100 top issues. So I think it's just interesting to note some of these numbers because clearly it worked in DC's favor. They're going to figure out some way to do something next year. I'm sure of it. Um, and for, for the most part, it's, it's really interesting. When you look at the entire comic market as a whole, this one, when you think about it, last year, September, they did zero, zero month where they had all the zero issues, which supposedly explained the origins of all the characters. But, uh, the over, of the top 300 comics sold, there was 8.15 million copies of comic books sold in the month of September. This is actually up 25% from last year. Uh, as far as, as far as, uh, money goes, it's up 32% from last year. From, uh, up to $30.05 million. So, I mean, like, when you when you look at it as a whole, clearly this worked. DC is going to keep doing stuff like this. They're going to figure out ways to, you know, make their books three ninety nine so that they can charge more money. When you compare a lot of the books that were three ninety nine that DC had uh, in the in the spots, very similar uh, spots. For example, all the Marvel books that were also in the top ten. Every single one of those books was also three ninety nine. So. Eventually, DC is going to get to the point where they're going to raise their price to $3.99. And, you know, if they can do it with a 3D cover, that's what they'll do if they need to figure out a different way to do it. Um, eventually, it's going to happen because that's, I think, one of the reasons why DC loses to Marvel when it comes to market share, when it comes to money sometimes, is because their books generally are lower priced than Marvel's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... It's weird because it doesn't seem as as someone who buys a great deal of Marvel, um, 
almost all of the X-Men titles, I would like to say 80 to 90% of them, it seems like the level of content is the same. If you get into the Avengers books, there's probably more content available for that $3.99. But really, if I think about it, I'm reading X-Men, I've got this $3.99 book. If I turn over to my $2.99 Birds of Prey, I feel like I've been reading the same amount of material. So that is kind of strange. And it is depressing on my, my pockets that I'm spending a great deal of money for the same amount of content. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it's likely that they'll start using excuses to raise their prices. I just hope that they have an excuse for it. If it is with a, a special cover or something, then that's, even if it's a gimmick, it's still fine, because at least you're getting something extra, or at least it feels like you are. Um, but I, I hope that they don't start charging, like Marvel do, three ninety nine for a 22-page comic. I, I appreciate that DC have this kind of, I know they used to say hold the line, but uh, it's, yeah. it wavers a bit. But uh, I still appreciate that the standard is still two ninety nine. All right. So then the other thing I have to say about Villains Month is the one thing that it did a really good job of is made me forget about everything that was happening on a monthly basis in the most of the, these books. So when I read the books that we're reviewing here, I was kind of taken yep. back Agreed. by the fact that I was like, oh, we're getting back to this. Um, Which is that, about to happen uh, next month, too, won't it? Because everything's tying into zero year. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I have some comments about that when it gets to the, uh, when it gets to some of these books. But uh, for the most part, uh, I think Villains Month was successful. I think that there was a decent amount of issues that were good. Uh, when, when I compare the number of books that we reviewed here on the podcast to what we would normally cover, it was roughly about the same. It's it, There wasn't that big of a difference. So really, it's not that big of a deal. Now, if they add Batman Eternal to the the mix in the spring, that's obviously going to be more books for us to cover. And I and it depends on whether or not Forever Evil Arkham Wars done before they launch Batman Eternal. We're going to have a ton of books to cover as we've always had. Um, we're not obviously going to be cutting books. Uh, most of the books that we've cut are all now on the point five cast. With myself and Ed doing that show, um, but. I just want to throw it out there that with all of the books that, that DC produces, we're always looking for people to review these books on the website. Um, obviously, the podcast comes out every two weeks, but that doesn't mean that uh, people are going to find out about what the book is. They're going to wait until two weeks goes by. So we're, we're always looking for people to review all of the books we review here and on the Point Five cast, as well as all kinds of other books from the DC Universe that you believe people should uh, should be reading, specifically focusing on some of the books that are going to tie into Batman's zero month or whatever the heck they're calling it, uh, zero year, well, it's zero year, but it's next month is zero month <sighs> for a lot of the titles, and there's other DC characters that are going to be tying into this crossover, which is not necessarily a crossover, as they've always said, but... Um, there's other DC characters outside of the Batman universe that I'd also like to get focused on and, and uh, reviewed over on the website. So if you're interested, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net if you're interested in reviewing any of those titles. Um, so with that, we're going to get straight into our books. We, as I said, have five books to cover, and the very first book we have is Batman number 24. What the hell are you? Uh, this 
bumper-sized issue, Batman number 24, written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. The issue opens in the developing Batcave with Bruce receiving a new haircut from Alfred before he quickly jumped to a Gotham City rooftop where the Red Hood gang are stealing pressurised oxygen containers. It's not long, however, until Batman shows up, subdues the gang, and fastens them in a bat shape to a billboard. After a quick scene of Red Hood 1 killing several of his own men and talking about a new kind of cement... We see Batman and Alfred trying to work out a pattern in the seemingly random thefts that are scattered across the city. At this point in time, all they know for sure is that several of the thefts were just to disguise the real targets. We then see Bruce confront his uncle Philip, who is glad to see him alive, and gives him and gives Bruce a key to the Red Hood gang's online information. Back in the Batcave, with the information he just got via Philip, Bruce has just worked out where the Red Hood gang are, what they're going to do, and when. But this isn't a job for Batman. We cut to outside Ace Chemicals, where Bruce is addressing the press. He tells them that when the Red Hood gang attempted to kill him, they explained that they were creating toxic chemicals, which they're going to explode all over the city. With this, a few members of the Red Hood gang appear with rocket launchers and fire at the crowd. In the confusion, Bruce runs into the building, but is quickly stopped by Red Hood 1. Red Hood 1 starts to explain the poetry and what he's doing, but Bruce just insults him to the point where he's about to get killed. At this moment, however, there is a huge blackout and the city plunges into darkness. We see the cityscape and the blackout is in the shape of a bat symbol. And back in the factory, we see Batman swoop in and save Bruce Wayne from the perspective of those wearing night vision goggles. Suddenly, the lights burst on again and Batman takes out gang member after gang member, working his way up to Red Hood 1. During the battle, Red Hood 1 takes aim at Batman but is shot by Philip. However, the bullet ricochets off his dome and punctures a vat of acid, which leaks onto a bomb, which explodes, and half the factory bursts into flames. Red Hood 1 retaliates and shoots Philip dead. As Batman tends to him, Gordon attempts to arrest him, but Batman easily escapes to chase down Red Hood 1. He finds him on the roof, climbing into a helicopter, but Batman takes him down and the two fall through the building onto a catwalk. They fight until a vat explodes beneath them, destroying the walkway, and Red Hood 1 falls into it. We then have a backup written by Scott Snyder with James Tini the Fourth, and art by Raphael Albuquerque. It takes place in the Batcave after the events of the main feature, where Bruce and Alfred are waxing lyrical about exposition and the unknown identity of Red Hood 1, and how he appeared to be an imposter. The issue ends with the Riddler making his debut in Gotham by projecting himself across hundreds of buildings across the city, challenging them to a game to be continued. So a lot happened in this issue. Mm-hmm. I know for one that I was not expecting the double issue, which I guess was because we didn't have an issue of Batman last month. Um, how did you feel about this double issue, though? Did you feel that it was two issues of story just kind of jammed together, or did it flow nicely as a as a bumper book? Well, I think one of the things is it was actually more than a double issue um, because, well, I guess I guess when you when you consider they didn't have the backup yeah. in the book like they would normally do. I guess it would, would is a double. But the the thing is, I was not expecting this whatsoever. I literally started reading it, looked at the page count, and was thinking to myself, this isn't making a lot of sense. There's a lot of pages left. Why is there so many pages left? And I was kind of confused. And then I, as I kept reading, I, I obviously, once I got past the normal page count of a normal book, I was like, huh, I guess... There's, this is just longer. And then I realized that it costs six ninety nine. So the, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, it's fine. I can't understand why they need to do this. 
um, unless they needed to make sure that they fit in this story prior to whatever's happening in the book next month, um, which it's led here that it's something about it's going to deal with the Riddler. Um, I I don't think it was I don't think it was bad. I've got some problems that I'll I'll save for right now, but I think that it just seemed like it was unnecessarily long. And I'm I'm sure it had to do with the villains month and also because next month is going to be the crossover with all of the other books and I don't know how much the crossover is actually going to deal with because they really rarely actually deal with it. So I don't really understand the necessity to do this as much as they needed to. I, I I think, let's see, the question was, could I tell it's a double-sized issue? I Well, I was taken aback when I saw how thick it was, but I think it did flow well. Like, you couldn't tell where one issue would have ended and the other began. So that, that worked fine with me. I think there was no problem there. Yeah, I mean, when I bought it, I was shocked, but I think that it actually flowed well and... I, I guess it's something to do with the fact that, you know, this was meant to end by a certain time. So similar to what Dustin was saying, this is kind of, they wanted to wrap this up in one. And I kind of, I ended up, I ended up enjoying it as one story. I think that, um, yeah, it, it flowed well. It, it didn't seem, I didn't really see a point where it could have been cut in two. So I enjoyed it a lot. So we're kind of getting hints here. I mean, we, we've already kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that this is, a, in some respects, a redo of Year One, or at least of Batman's origin. But we're also seeing simultaneously, I guess, what could be interpreted as the Joker's origin, at least, you know, for most people, as in, well, pretty much everyone reading who is familiar with the killing joke. Um, did you Did you like that, or how did you feel about that? The thing is, I, th- this is one of the problems that I had with this. I mean, obviously they're trying to reintroduce everybody into the Batman universe with the people who are just starting to read books with the new 52. And I get that. But the problem is that I think the way it was done was fine. Did we really need to, to see this? I, I don't think we really did. And the, the problem is that the, the biggest problem I have with this is, you know, at the end when, when Alfred and Bruce are trying to figure out exactly who the person was who was underneath the mask, and then they find out, well, it's not the person they thought it was, it's somebody else, and they don't know how long he's been under the mask, and I'm just thinking to myself, as this is all happening, they've just made the, the person who's been leading the Red Hood gang out to be this really, really well thought out person who is coming up with a giant scheme, regardless of what it is. And he's masterminding, like, all of these thefts to, like, create this toxin. And it's, like, all of this stuff, which is fine, but Joker's never really been that person. And, yeah, I guess if he falls into the vats, and that I guess that may, that could make him crazy, but it, it's different than what we've seen in the past with, specifically, the only really one that we've seen is the killing joke, where Joker was just somebody who was goaded into the Red Hood gang, by the Red Hood gang, which was portrayed pretty well throughout the entire, uh, this entire story that Scott Snyder's been doing. But then all of a sudden, it just so happens that the person who's the leader is the person who's going to end up being the Joker instead of just somebody. Like, like, they changed the idea of what the Red Hood gang was to being this, you know, everybody's forced to be in the gang 
by somebody and now we find out that it could have been the Joker all along who's been forcing all these people. And that's the, that's the, the problem I had. I didn't really like the fact that we needed to, you know, Joker's been made into this brilliant person who's coming up with these amazing things only to do what? Fall into a vat and become the Joker? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like Scott Snyder has been making Joker too smart. That's all. Do you do you see him at all? This Joker at all? Like the uh, Heath Ledger Joker in the um, in the Dark Knight, and the fact that you never really knew his actual origin because he kept coming up with different stories about how he got his face, and in this way, like you never know. Well, who is this guy? And, and that he has all these different. Like you can't really get put a finger on him. Can you? Do you kind of relate those two? I know. I, I mean, the thing is, I, I I feel like it is relatable to Heath Ledger's Joker in the fact that he's he is coming up with these plans, but there's not enough chaos and there's not enough amusement about the stuff he's doing, and that's the problem. I mean, obviously, this is before he you know falls into the vats, and I guess if they're playing off like they like um, what they did with Batman 1989, where Jack Nicholson falls in the vat and then becomes a crazy person. I guess that works, but it's just, I don't know. I just feel like there's, there's a little too much of this, like, really, really well thought out criminal who's a mastermind. I see some similarity to Heath Ledger's Joker in the hypocritical nature of it all, in that it's like, oh yeah, I'm all about disorder and chaos, and then coming up with this elaborate plan that kind of everything has to fall into place for it to work. Um, I it, I guess it depends on how you like your interpretation of the Joker because it's one of the, he's another character who kind of has been written several ways. Sometimes he's absolutely insane, does anything for any reason. Other times, like especially in Grant Morrison's uh, Batman and Robin, he was I'm almost hyper intelligent. So I guess that kind of comes. I didn't mind it. I, I guess the reason I actually not necessarily I don't really know how I feel about it yet. I didn't come away hating it i was expecting if i saw this sort of thing that i'd be really angry but i really wasn't and i think that's because it left it so vague there was no kind of mention as to this is the joker it's kind of like if you know the story which again you know most people 99 percent of people will know that story but it's kind of like a if you know the story then you can't this is a nod to that and it it's not really redoing it and it like it left it vague enough there was no kind of like, oh yeah, this is Joe Chill, he killed your parents, you know, go and track him down. It left, it, there was no name given or anything like that. And you kind of never really saw any aspect of it. It was even vaguer than the killing joke. It, it, yeah, I mean, I, I can see your point. I definitely see your point, but I, I think because of the vagueness of it, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Let's see. So Dustin said like he didn't really see, I guess, the sort of the ha-ha funny Joker. I think that we're all used to and, and the insane Joker. I'm not putting words in your mouth. That was basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, And, and I think there are level – like I think subtly you see his humor. And really I'm thinking about the scene on the yacht and, you know, he's having fun with what he's reading in the paper. And then with this guy that he's basically pouring cement into the guy's mouth and then dumping him off in the sea. But I think it's like the very base level of Joker. And we haven't gotten to see uh, who he's going to turn into. So there are two parts to this. The first part is, I think this is a completely different Joker than we're, than 
we're we've read in the past because this is new 52 so i think writers just want to be original keep ties to the classics but also step out on their own and and really give what they so in my opinion this is like joker 2.0 and i'm also thinking back to that joker's daughter um and that scene just where everyone was really holding joker up to this great light and and saying that you know they respect him and you know they're they, they would follow him anywhere. And so you wonder, well, who is that? We And I remember, Dustin, you said something like, what type of Joker is that? We've never read that where people just follow him blindly and respect him like that. And so I feel like, I don't know, this Joker that we now know is just a completely different Joker on a new level. And the other thing is that, remember, we're in zero year. And the Batman we're reading isn't the Batman that we know right now. So I think both of them have time to grow and become the people that hopefully is more reminiscent of what we remember. So perhaps um, I, I think there are little pieces of what Joker is to become, you know, maybe with this subtle humor, um, maybe his chaos. And it's going to, even though he has order to what he's thinking about, maybe now after this accident, it's going to start splitting off. But I mean, Batman isn't the Batman that we, I mean, he has fun with stuff. Like he was saying a joke. I don't remember, but he was like almost having fun with what he was doing. Kind of reminded me of Stephanie. And right now, like he doesn't, he's always very serious taskmaster sort of person. So I do think we have to almost look at it with blinders on because this is at the very beginning. So if it is joke, then let's think, well, what would Joker have been like if we're peeling back everything and this is the start of what he's doing? I think I've kind of come around to this whole storyline as well, which helps because before I always felt it was really superfluous. And I think it still is, but I heard an interview with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo on the now pretty infamous podcast, obviously Fat Man on Batman, um, and it is a fantastic podcast. Um Again, not as good as the BatmanUniverse.net, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, there, there was a great interview, and it, Scott Snyder spoke about how you know he doesn't like the fact that a lot of what he's saying. He's mentioned that a lot of what a lot of what he's saying is being turned around and making him look hypocritical. How you know he wanted the serious storyline to be his, and then kind of he got forced into all right, everyone's going to do a serious story. He's like, oh, okay then, I guess, and. He didn't want to retell. This wasn't supposed to be an origin story, but because it was set in this time, editorial said, "Right, well, you you got to redo year one, or you know, do Batman's origin." Um, so I've kind of come around. Maybe it's partly kind of like pity, <laughs> but in any case, like for whatever reason, I've come around to this and I've accepted that this is happening. And um, I mean, I said it before, but this is supposed to be the new Fifty Two's mm-hmm. Batman origin story. So. You kind of you got to go with it if you want to carry on reading New Fifty Two. Um, I I didn't get the sense that this Joker thing was a, a mandate thing because I think because it was not mentioned, there was no kind of like look everyone, this is the Joker becoming the Joker, and it maybe it is, but I get the feeling that it's not actually going to be touched on, upon again. I get the feeling that it's kind of just like a passing nod, and um, I mean there were lots of nods throughout the issue, like. Uh, there was the obvious Detective Comics number 27, the play on that cover. There was um, the, the bit on the boat with uh, with Joker reading, or with Red Hood 1, reading the newspaper. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice it before, but when Stella said he was kind of having fun reading it, it kind of reminded me of Jack Nicholson in Batman, you know, going to wing, freak, terrorizes. I'm not going to do the voice, but that kind of scene. So I think there were lots of references to past stories about Joker and Batman, and I think that's 
kind of fun seeing those those references thrown in here and and seeing past origins of both these characters. I do have to say that I had a a, um, a big problem with the whole Philip being a Red Hood flunky. Uh, just those scenes, like it seemed like they didn't really work together. I wasn't sh- under I I didn't understand number one why he went back to working with Red Hood after he helped Bruce out, and number two how Bruce didn't like recognize that he was working with the Red Hood gang when he got the tattoo. And then I don't know. He's guessing. He said, "Please don't let it be." But I, I, I don't know. That didn't work for me. Um, but maybe that was just me not getting it. All right. So Batman number twenty-four. I'm going to give this one a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I'm going to give this four. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I give it three point five out of five batterings. All right. And over on the website, Joe Pizzolo gave the issue four out of five batterings. That is going to give. Batman number 24, a total of 3.5 out of 5 batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics number 24. Watch yourselves, men. These guys are crazy. Detective Comics number 24, written by John Lehman, art by Jason Fabick. The issue starts off where we see uh, Codwell Tech has donated a ton of technology to the GCPD. It's an equipment donation, and uh, we find out that the equipment is all actually uh, a ruse so that Caldwell could take out all of the police officers, all of the vests that he donated to actually electrify them. And uh, Gordon immediately tells, uh, or we find out that Batman finds out as Gordon's one of the few people who isn't wearing one of the vests. Um, as Batman is uh, right at Caldwell Tech, Wrath is actually throwing Alfred to the side, saying, I'm done with this, uh, it's time to end Gotham City's police department forever. Um, as he takes off in his weird-looking spaceship, device uh batman chases him down with the batwing batman takes some fire uh, makes it appear as if his uh batwing explodes and actually uh takes off on a little glider that he ejected from um as he uh, attempts to figure out exactly what is going on he goes back to Caldwell tech and gets uh alfred uh back at the bat cave batman and alfred find out that uh caldwell's dad was actually murdered by a police officer um, and uh, during a theft gone wrong, and the police officer was most likely corrupt and in turn killed him so that he could steal some diamonds that uh, his dad was stealing. This uh, this actually didn't take place at the Batcave. This was at the computer in Cowboy Tech's uh, facility. Uh, Batman says to Alfred he's going to take him out. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of town, later on, uh, a giant tank is bulldozing its way through the town, heading towards the 13th precinct of the GCPD to blow it up. He starts uh, shooting it. Um, as he emerges, Batman appears in his, uh, basically his bat robot giant, uh, not giant, but his exoskeleton suit that he has, he tells Wrath that nobody's here and that uh, he had everyone evacuated. Uh, Batman explains that uh, they're all wrong, They uh, that he's wrong, and that uh, they actually put the people behind bars, or the people who were who killed his father are actually dead. Uh, Wrath gets pretty ticked about this, the nice little fight ensues, and when the GCPD shows up and goes to take down Wrath. Um, after that happens, a uh, officer walks up to Batman and says, listen, I, w- I want to say thank you because... You know, I always thought you were some psycho that caused everyone else, but I saw what happened um, with uh, 
with Caldwell and, you know, I just wanted to say I appreciate what you're doing and, uh, maybe having all the bats around in this town is a good thing. Um, so later, a few days later, we see somebody running through an alleyway in Gotham City when they're attacked by a ton of, a ton of bats. And a few days later after that, at Blackgate Prison, Caldwell is talking to Gordon. Gordon's showing him the police files about uh, the investigation that he himself opened up to solve uh, the murder of his fa- of his father. Caldwell doesn't really care. He's getting walked back to his cell, and as he's in his cell, uh, he says, uh, what was that all, or some, somebody across from the cell says, what was that all about? And he says, the commissioner trying to show me, but it's not going to make a difference. He'll be the first person I kill once I get out of here, and uh, then I'm going to kill Batman. And then the guy says, sounds like you've got big plans for the future. We should talk about that as it's revealed that the person talking to him is Ogilvy. Next, in time of the Crooked Men, the GCPD Zero Year. So the first thing I want to talk about is really the Rast story wraps up. Uh, one of the things that I, I kind of mentioned earlier with Villains Month, or when I was talking about Villains Month during comic news, is that a lot of the stuff that happens in a lot of these books, it's almost as if, Villains Month was timed horribly with a lot of these books. Uh, this ends the Wrath story, so we, we take a month off, we come back, we finish up the entire Wrath story. Obviously, something's going to happen with Manbat, um, as it's been leading up to over the last couple months in the pages that John Lehman's been writing. But the, the thing I find interesting is that the Wrath story wraps up in this one issue. Uh, we're hinted at Ogilvy could be a player coming forward. So it looks like we could be getting, we could see a combination of the number of the different characters that Batman has been fighting during Layman's run. Ogilvy, Caldwell, uh, it's in, maybe in some regard, uh, Manbat. So I was wondering what you guys thought about that, especially since now we know that there's only November's issue, which is not going to tie into, um, it's not going to start any new story. And then we've got December. So all we really have is December before layman's last issue which is detective comics 27 which is the oversized issue um do you see kind of accumulation of layman's work from the very beginning based off of the last couple pages in this issue Uh, i hadn't necessarily put together that connection i was excited to see ogilvy again and his return because i enjoyed that character um when i read this i i I either didn't know or i'd forgotten that uh the, the news about you know that he was leaving um so uh yeah with that in mind i think it's definitely plausible come to think of it i probably should have realized that because it does seem to be the fashion at the moment to bring back all of your villains we've seen that in batgirl and uh dark knight as well with all of Hurwitz's characters so uh, it wouldn't definitely wouldn't surprise me if we kind of got a everyone gets back together to take down batman type story uh, this will be, I mean, I'm just looking forward to Sinister Six, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> you know, now that you said this, Dustin, this is automatically what I thought of. I thought to myself, is this working better than Nightfall and all the disgrace coming together? Does this make more sense? And in my opinion, like, I think that this flowed much better, whereas in Batgirl, I think that it's very forced, and hey, let's have these villains team up together. But I think I, I think that it'll be awesome, especially just because they're they're very 
original, and I, I mean original to layman's way of, of dealing with them. I think that could be great to see what a potential team up could be. But, I mean, we've seen in the past that Ogilvy doesn't necessarily play nicely with others, especially with his relationship with Penguin. So I just wonder if, um, if he's sort of the Doc Ock of the group, if he's going to be able to, if, if he's going to be the leader and if he's going to be able to, to work with other people. The one thing that I can't, I kind of thought about when I was thinking about this was maybe Ogilvy is trying to manipulate Caldwell the same way as he did Penguin. But I'm thinking if that was actually the case, that's, that, that seems like it's going to be too long of a story to be able to tell in the short amount of time that John Layman's left on this book. So, and that's not to say that maybe something couldn't carry over to Layman when he's, when he's working on Batman Eternal, as we know that he's going to be doing that. But I just think that overall, it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of time. So the, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, is kind of what I mentioned a little bit earlier with, uh, you know, last month was Villains Month. This issue ends the story arc that obviously was halted for Villains Month. Mm-hmm. Next month we pick up with Zero Year. And then we pick up with maybe the Mambat story or whatever Layman's going to be working on right before his his end his run ends. So, how do you think this disruptiveness of Villains Month and then Zero Year is 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 actually harming anything that these writers could be doing? And this this isn't so much necessarily just about Detective, but just in general because this has happened in other books too. Uh, specifically the one that came to mind when I was reading these books was Batgirl was kind of very abruptly <laughs> halted during Villains Month. And then the, the, the events that take place in the issue that we'll review in a second and happened. And then it's going to halt yet again for zero years. So I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the, you know, the, the overabundance of events that kind of harm the overall stories that the writers are trying to get across. Um, so what's happening? Next, if we got another issue before it's then the zero year is the zero year next. Zero year, zero year is next. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least in this issue, we kind of got the end of an arc. Um, I think there's smaller storylines to kind of carry on, but at least in this, and it kind of it should hopefully tie in because it seems that the the zero year tie in is based around the crooked cops that we were getting lots of mentions to in this. So I think. It could work in this title. A lot of the other ones, I think it is going to really interrupt it. Particularly some of the non-Batman titles, it's going to be extremely strange. But uh, I, th- I think for Detective, it- it's probably going to be okay, because like I said, it's the end of an arc, and there are kind of references to it throughout this issue. Um, for other ones, I think that it definitely will be a lot more disruptive. This one, as well as Nightwing, I had a lot of trouble with. Batman, not so much because it just seemed like a story in its own. But just popping in here, I had to refresh my memory as to what was going on. And even then, it was it was hard to, to get back on track with it. And, and that's just really disappointing because I think that this was a really strong story. And Wrath is someone that uh, I think everyone here, even Donovan, uh, was were everyone was enjoying uh to read and so to have it broken up like that is just really jarring and unfortunately the same thing is about to happen with you know next month and i i don't know i feel like it just pulls readership back well that's not the right phrase it's just hard to to be a good reader of comic books when things start interrupting a good flow and a good arc 
I mean, imagine if this stuff had happened during Night of the Owls and how lost we would have been. All right, so Detective Comics number 24, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. I'll give this a three and a half out of five batterings. This was actually a story that I feel like it wrapped up so quickly in this issue. I I just feel like it had a lot of potential and almost like everything was really thrown in on this issue. And we could have really, we could have drawn it out, maybe not Snyder drawn it out. But Wrath is such an awesome character that I think there was a lot of potential to keep the story going a little bit longer instead of sort of cashing in and and throwing in all the chips. Um, But, you know, hopefully with that ending, I think... It gets me excited. When I saw the ending of Backroll Whatever, when I saw all those people talking to the other people, I was like, oh, I don't care. But this one, I think, will be pretty exciting to see a nice little villain team up. But I'm going to give it 3.5 out of 5. All right. And over on the website, Joe Pizzolo gave the issue 4.5 out of 5 batterings. So that is going to give the issue a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Backroll number 24. I see you sewed up the bullet holes. You're Batgirl. She's Batgirl. Was Batgirl. That brand of costume justice went out with a Tommy gun, kid. Batgirl 24. Batgirl wanted. 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 Do, 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 do. Part two of three. Dragnet. Writer Gail Simone. Pencils Fernando Pissarin. Inker Jonathan Glapion. And colorist Blonde. Gotham City Public School number 68. I don't know if it was you, but I had no idea that this was a school that they were fighting in the last time we had seen it. So it's nice that we have a specification here now. So Babs, in a black stealth outfit, not her Batgirl costume, mind you, holds Ricky as he bleeds out from a bullet wound suffered at the hands of her own father, Commissioner Gordon. Harvey tells Gordon it was a righteous shooting, or if you're watching FX, that it was just a bad Tyrell calls it poetic, and Rolo, not the candy, is just as distraught as Babs is. The cops start to round all the gang members up, but Babs decides she is not going down, and she happens to fight the cops for a second time that night. Babs realizes that the only person who could have provided Tyrell with an expensive gun was Nightfall. Babs nearly punches her father before running off, and they stare at each other in their eyes. Remember that plot detail? They stare at each other in their eyes. I'll ask you a question about that later. So she has a little emo moment, and she decides that she is never, ever going to forgive her father. She slashes some tires, boy, and she runs to a train yard only to get held up uh, by Detective McKenna. Now, McKenna doesn't know that it's Babs, but Babs asks her why Nightfall would be arming a gang of street punks with some high-tech weaponry. And McKenna decides to trust this black-suited woman. And she says, well, it's called outsourcing. So the idea is that Nightfall arms a gang with superior weapons. She gives them surveillance equipment and expertise that they... And then they are inevitably going to wipe out every other rival gang in that territory. And so a few months later, the aid stops, so Nightfall stops giving help, and then she arms somebody else the same way, and this is its nice little circle of chaos. And this is really what happened between Rolo and the 68 Kings. And then McKenna decides to let her go after telling her that Nightfall has some new firepower that has just recently busted out of Arkham and Blackgate. I guess Babs doesn't know what that is, but we all do. Uh, so Babs walks home in some street clothes. I guess she hid them in a nice little spider sack somewhere in an alley. And then Alicia tells her that her father has called several times. And while making some tea and cookies, Alicia asks why Babs always comes home from long nights with bruises and she's totally exhausted, but too bad 
Babs is already asleep, so no discussion there. Then Gordon goes home and stares at a picture of Babs. And he seems sad, in my opinion. At Gotham General, Babs goes to see Ricky. He's still alive, people, so hold on to hope. Finds his mother is there, who is on the verge of a breakdown. Ricky's in a coma, and no one can see him. Babs says she can try to pull some strings, which I don't know how her father could be the one to impact the hospital chain, but who knows. And then her dad calls and calls and calls and calls while drinking some beer. And Babs finally decides to come see him while at his house. Mirror attacks that wonderful villain that we first saw in issue number one. He fights back, and we see Nightfall explain to Michael Bleak, uh, who is standing outside of Gordon's house, that Jim is a good man, and his death must be messy, which doesn't make sense. And he asks and says, Nightfall, what you talking about? And she explains that, you know, he's on to them since he went directly to take down a gang after speaking with her. So he must die and it must look like a gang did it. Inside, Gretel, Grotesque, and Bonebreaker, all those wonderful villains we all know and love, all attack Gordon. And while outside, all the electricity, communication down the street, um, it's all taken down due to Grotesque and his power base, which we never really understood in the first place. Babs drives up, sees the power off, and knows his bleak outside her father's house. She realizes that her father's not alone, but she doesn't have her black uh, B&E or breaking and entering gear, only her Batgirl suit. So looks like she's going to be suiting up one last time. Uh, but next up, we're not going to find out what happens. Next up, uh, Batgirl in zero year. Uh, so my first, uh, I guess, question is your thoughts on just Babs' over-emotional responses um, because we, it seems like, and I feel like we ask, I may ask this question like every time because it just seems like we have Babs very straight and calm and then she's off the Richter scale, very crazy like. And here, you know, she's, she's fighting cops. She goes all emo, as I said, and, and decides that she almost hates her father and she's never ever going to forgive him, which is a foreign concept to me because this, in this relationship in pre-New 52 never would have happened. So, I mean, do you think it's justified in what's going on, or do you think it's a little too much? I think it's a little too much. I think the big thing is that uh, we've we've talked about this numerous times in the past, where Batgirl's emotions are, as you said, they, you know, they're off the Richter scale. They're off the Richter scale a lot of times, where they're very extreme sometimes, and then other times they're the complete opposite of what we would expect. So, I mean, I think the thing is that this, I mean, obviously we've said this before, this is obviously a very different Babs than we are all used to. But I think the biggest thing with her emotions and some of the stuff that she's been doing is that a lot of it just doesn't seem like it's very, like, it, it seems like a lot of the problems that she has and a lot of the reasons she has the emotions that she has would be easily fixed if certain things just happen, which would make sense to happen. Um, you know, her father's mad at her and she's mad at her father because of, uh, you know, because he's mad at Batgirl, maybe, I don't know, but that could have all been solved if her mother spoke up and said something, you know, there's just, there's so many different things that just seem too, way too coincident to really make, make work. And I think a lot of the, her emotions are spawned from the fact that, these, there's these odd situations where they're just like, you know, they're, they're there so that she feels the way she does. I think her reactions are not necessarily justified. I think her emotion is justified. I think her actions, I think she's kind of 
irrational at some points, and I'm not sure if that's bad characterization or if that's just the way the character is now being written. Because um, I think the way she reacted to Ricky's, I guess he didn't die, but the fact that it, it, if he died, it would have been worse. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what he stands for is not necessarily a love interest, or just that it's that fact that that's kind of all she had at that moment. And I guess she does kind of have Alicia, but she she tends to kind of block her out a bit. And with her father angry at Batgirl, and then you know she's upset with herself and feels like she can't really talk to her father and stuff. That kind of he was the one point of normalcy in her life. So if he then died, then I could understand. I could definitely understand the fact that he's. I mean, he's definitely injured. So that. It's. It, I say like I could definitely understand and definitely justified. It's. It's still to an, a large extent. I can understand her emotions, but I don't necessarily understand all of her reactions and why she does everything. I mean, fair enough. Like she had to get out. I don't. I don't know if there was a better way to get out rather than take down half the police force. But it's that sort of stuff where it's like I can understand why she'd be upset and why she'd need to get out of there. But is there a better way she could have gone about it? Yeah. Um, I think that to a certain extent it may be justified. But I I think that even calling Ricky her boyfriend was a little over the top for me because they've only been on one date. So I I don't know if – my gosh. I mean she's acting as if this were the love of her life. So if it were anybody else, maybe that – you know, her BFF, if someone, she was holding somebody in her arms, then I could see her really going off. Um, so it's only justifying the fact that she witnessed her father shooting someone that she cared about, but she just goes way off as if she, this is the end all and be all of her life. And I mean, almost hitting her father, going after these cops. I mean, yeah, there had to have been another way to go out. Um, further evidence that Jim may in fact know her identity. Um, do you think that, did you you see any clues here as to could this be leading more towards him uh, knowing her identity potentially at the end of this arc or do you think it's still sort of up in the air I think the, the thing is I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that well okay well I, I guess I need a little bit of a refresher real quick a couple months back or whatever I can't remember if it was here in back or if it was somewhere else Gordon slapped Batman or punched him. It was yeah. What book was that? It was Batgirl. Okay. And what was the reason behind him doing that? Because Batman was irresponsible in letting that in letting Batgirl well, in letting some girl take on the mantle of Batgirl and now her life was basically wasted. It was basically after Batman said, I'm sorry about your son. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Okay, so the thing is, I'm wondering how Gordon would react if if uh he found out that Barbara, if he just did that because of some girl who happened to kill, you know, happened to supposedly kill his son, I'm wondering what could possibly, how could Gordon, how would Gordon react to Barbara find, or Barbara telling him that she's Batgirl? Because there's, I really don't see any other way of this ending except for her to reveal to him that that's who she is. But the problem is that that's going to create so many different problems with Gordon now is, I mean, unless of course she gives up being Batgirl for real and she reveals to Gordon, Hey, listen, I was Batgirl. I'm not going to be Batgirl anymore. Blah, blah, blah. Gordon can be really pissed at Bruce Wayne. He's not going to, you know, if, if she's not going to be Batgirl anymore, it leaves the door open for someone else to become Batgirl. 
It also leaves the door open for her to do something that is not necessarily linked to the Bat family so directly, um, such as wearing the Bat symbol. So, I mean, it, it, it could, we could be seeing her go, you know, not necessarily become Oracle, but just like go back to maybe a close interpretation of what she was pre New 52 with her not being Batgirl. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. It's just, I, I honestly, if she continues to be Batgirl and she tells her father who she is, it's not going to turn out good. It's just not. Gordon is going to, you know, he's going to flip his crap. It's mm-hmm. just what's going to happen. Um, so I, I, it's hard to say exactly what's going to happen. I really feel as if they're leading up to maybe she really does give up the mantle. Maybe then she tells him. And, you know, I could see that being something that they could actually work with, but her telling him and still being Batgirl, that would never work. So the only thing that could possibly lead into that, or not lead into that, but kind of make it work, is the fact that Gordon's now shot someone, and maybe there could be some kind of connection in, okay, I didn't realize how easy it is, or like in the heat of the moment or something. I mean, I'm no writer. Um <laughs> But I don't know how like that is, or if that could play into it, or if this is just a kind of taking away from Barbara again, um, rather than leading, like carrying the story on. You know, you were saying about um, the main thing we're starting about is the clues towards Barbara and 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 uh, her dad knowing her her identity. I think the strangest part of this book was not. Well, I mean, the, the kind of them staring into each other's eyes was mm-hmm. a bit strange. Mm-hmm. And then what made it worse was then the interaction with McKenna, where it's like, oh, don't look me in the face because exactly. I don't want you to know who I am. Yes. Where it's like, if this woman, like, who you've met, I don't think even, have, have they even, like, interacted in person? I'm not sure. But the, the way they were kind of like, oh, no, don't look at me because you'll know who I am, when she stared her own father in the face. And I mean, they were that close that, Jim could probably smell her and be like, hmm, that's Barbara. But uh, I don't know. Do you think that that is, yeah, I was exactly going to get to that. Do you think that if he's got his suspicions now, this is sort of going off of what Dustin said, that he would he would flip his lid. If he's got his suspicions now and is able to sort of stew over them, and then when she finally tells him, everything is revealed. Do you think that would lessen the blow? Whereas if it was a complete shock, maybe then he would, he would blow a gasket. Do you think that'll have any impact? No, I think he's going to, he's going to blow a gasket. If she <laughs> finds way. out one way or the other. I mean, like it, it, it would be different if it wasn't Gail Simone who wrote him flipping out on Batman just because some random girl was running around with as Batgirl. And, you know, she's linked to the murder of James Jr. But the thing is, I, she wrote him that way, so he's gonna he's gonna flip out if she if she if, if he finds out, and it's gonna end up being so. Like, there's the problem is there's just too many coincidences. Like Gordon, I mean we've said this not related necessarily to Batgirl, but in a lot of cases Gordon comes off as a horrible horrible detective. The fact that somehow his this this Batgirl was involved with not only his ex-wife but also his son, and now is also going to just happen to stumble upon his house while he's being attacked by all these people. It's too much of a coincidence when there's no other members of the Bat family he ever comes in contact with outside of Batman. And Batman's never saving him or dealing with his family. Like, 
I don't know. There's just there's just so many different things. I mean, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Uh, but yes, Joe, you nailed it. That was definitely what, that's what I was saying. You know, pay attention, people pay attention, uh, to this fact. Any father that, you know, could look somebody in their eyes and not realize that that person is his, um, daughter, I think that that's just totally unrealistic. And then the fact that, I mean, it's a delayed moment, like in a romantic comedy, there'd be, you know, music or something going on. Um, and then saying that thing up to, to McKenna, you know, if I turn around, it's not going to be a good thing. So that, that didn't make sense. My final question here is about the disgrace. It's all coming together. And we said that everything was in the previous issue. Remember how many storylines were conveniently all tied up. Do you think, it is <sighs> underwhelming or too heavy of a response to have the disgraced and um, all of, you know, Nightfall's cronies come together in order to take out one cop. Whereas, I mean, I thought they were going to all come together on Batgirl's behalf, which would have made more sense. Do you, wh- what are your thoughts on them finally coming together? I mean, this has been talked about for a little while, teased for a little while, but it's all let's descend on... <laughs> one human being and kill him. Um, I do quite like the fact that we're kind of finally seeing this storyline come to fruition, but um, I do think it's a bit strange. I, I thought it was strange from the outset when it was like, uh-oh, guys, he's on to us, let's kill him. I thought that was a bit convenient at that point. So this is all kind of growing slightly, slowly more absurd as it goes along. But um, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm happy to kind of see yeah, what was promised taking place, but uh, I'm not entirely convinced by it and not entirely sure it makes that much sense. I also don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. I think the big thing is that, um, again, there's like, what, what is really the reason that they all need to be there? Is he really going to be able to take out I know. one or two of them? Uh, probably, you know, he might be able to take out maybe one or two, but do they really need to send every single one or is it really just a reason let's send everyone because that way everyone can have a cameo. I mean, like it just seems like overkill. Uh, And especially because, I mean, they basically made, (laughs) this is like Jim Gordon 5.0. I mean, he's practically Batman. Each of these villains has some sort of power set mirror. We never really understood because I mean, he was basically a human being, but remember Babs was always like getting broken by him. And, grotesque well we never understood his power set but it's electrical and then uh gretel has like that weird mind where she's basically able to tell people what to do so how he's able to go against these supers plus bone breaker is just utterly ridiculous um and and i don't think i mean it it could have taken one or two of them i feel but i i think that the main part if we all wanted to have these these group of villains come together, which I necessarily didn't. But if we all wanted them to have, it's not going to be to attack Jim Gordon. It would, it would have been to um, basically be like how Layman is setting up potentially to go after Batgirl. So um, I, I think it's a little, it's underwhelming in the fact that this is not what we were expecting and pr- probably not the way it should have come out. And it's too heavy because he's he's a normal person. So... Ugh. And yet, he still had time to fit in a nice pun, which was a bit strange. Yeah. It's like... I know. Not pun, well, not pun so much as one-liner, but even so, it's still a bit... I'm like, yeah. that, that's not Jim Gordon. 
So that is back row number 24, and I am going to give it a total of two out of five batterings. I'll give it a three out of five batterings. I'm actually going to agree with Joe and say it was uh, a three out of five. All right, so that's going to give back row number 24 a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move right into our next book with Nightwing number 24. I don't believe this! You're through, Zuko. Forever. That's so, birdie boy. Huh? I've waited a long time. Nightwing number 24, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Will Conrad. The issue starts off with Tony Zuko tied up on the back of Nightwing's motorcycle. Um, as uh, Nightwing is driving through the cities of Chicago trying to take out a number of the different pranksters' henchmen, um, Tony Zuko is trying to explain the reason why he came to Nightwing was to help him. Uh, he would have never given himself up this easily, but he knows exactly who the prankster is. As it turns out, there were the whole reason why uh, the Cole brothers uh, rose in the political ranks is because they convinced the city hall to put a a uh, trains through their old Pilsen neighborhood. Um, William uh, took the fall because the electrical, the project's electrical engineer, Harold Loomis, died on Halloween. The prankster happens to be his son, and he wants payback. Um, we then see Nightwing say, and how could you know all this? And he said, well, because uh, his son sent, when I was in prison with William Cole, he... Uh, told me the story because uh, he sent a souvenir to uh, the, the prankster sent a souvenir to William Cole, which happened to be the mask. Um, he said that uh, he wants he wants uh, to help him figure this out, but all this has been happening in the month of October because tonight is Halloween and it's all going to end. Uh, so Nightwing essentially comes to the realization that maybe he is uh, telling the truth. We see Prankster without his mask on telling uh, the current mayor that uh, things are going to get really bad for him because there's a bomb that he has to go stop, but the only way to stop it is to walk through the town that basically believes that he is this horrible crook, and that town is where he started everything. Um, as he starts walking down the street, all of these people start coming out, seeing that uh, he's there. Uh, they start surrounding him. They look like they're going to start beating him up. And they do start beating him up when all of a sudden Nightwing pops up with uh, Tony Zuko who is no longer tied up. And uh, Nightwing gasses everybody as everybody starts to walk, uh, tries to, you know, tries to get away from the smoke. Uh, Nightwing takes out the few people he needs to with uh, Tony Zuko who has his six. And uh, then they stick the mayor uh, on Nightwing's motorcycle. And... Uh, Tony Zuko rides off with the mayor as uh, Nightwing has to basically deal with the prankster now. They deal out with a uh, rather quick fight. Uh, Batman or uh, Nightwing goes into the subway to find the bomb that has to ha that's about to go off. Instead of disarming it, he decides he's going to run the uh, he's going to run the train off the tracks into the water. Uh, a huge explosion eventually assumes he survives. Nightwing. Uh, is actually uh, then approached by Prankster, who has some piano wire and is trying to strangle him. Um, as he is pretty much got him to the point where he's about to kill him, uh, Tony Zuko appears out of nowhere, um, shoots Prankster in the chest a couple times, and we then see 
uh, Tony Zuko saying that the only reason he grabbed the gun was because he, the only reason he has a gun is because he was, con- because he, because he was concerned that, uh, he, that Nightwing was in town and he would, didn't know what to do. Uh, Nightwing takes the gun, leaves, and, uh, Tony Zuko is surrounded by the police with the body of Prankster sitting there. Um, as it turns out, uh, Prankster doesn't die. He's only wounded. Tony Zuko is taken into police custody. Uh, later at Dick's apartment, he's approached by Joey, who's, uh, so happy that he's okay. Um, and then she says, welcome to Chicago, Grayson, leading us to believe that he's going to be in Gotham, for, or he's going to be in Chicago for a while. Mm-hmm. We then cut to a police interrogation room where it appears a lawyer of somebody who is a f- old friend of Tony Zuko is saying that he wants to be, um, he wants to help Tony get out of these charges. Um, but, uh, the big thing is that, uh, Tony says, you know, I just want to take responsibility for my mistakes. I don't want to cover them up with lies. And he says, well, before you really say anything else, maybe you should look because your wife has filed for divorce and she's left you. She's taken your son and you won't be seeing them at all. Tony Zuko freaks out and does a complete 180 and decides that, uh, he wants his old life back and he's willing to do it. And, uh... He's, he's willing to do anything, but uh, from now on, people will no longer call him Billy because Billy Lester isn't real. People need to call him Tony Zuko. Um, we then cut to a scene at the very end where Michael, uh, Dick's roommate, is talking with the police officer who was hurt in the explosion in the last issue, and uh, they're, being t- they're having a discussion about some of the previous superheroes that have, been in sh- that have made Chicago their home, the police officer is telling Michael there are no such things as, as heroes, and uh, Nightwing, despite him doing what he did, he's he's uh, he's not a hero, and there's not going to be any more. And for Chicago, like for Chicago's sake, we're gonna have to keep it that way by any ways necessary. As it's revealed that inside of his closet, the costume of the of the character that has been taking out the heroes in Chicago. Next up, Zero Year. All right, so I just have a couple of real quick things. We get the wrap up of we get the wrap up of the prankster story. I, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how well you thought it was, I guess, wrapped up. Um, because you know it's revealed who he exactly is, why he's going after who he is, and eventually we we find out you know that he's shot and he's now carted away because of Tony Zuko. So how did you? What did you guys think of the way the prankster not only how it was revealed of who he was, but how the story that has been focusing on him for a while wrapped up. I didn't, I wasn't very happy with it. Um, I think mostly because even though it's kind of been done before, it's at least less touched upon, uh, what was initially kind of given to us in that he's, uh, kind of that anti-hero type, you know, doing good sort Mm -hmm. of, but in a very bad way. Um, that kind of thing, and then in the end, not only was it all an act, but it was all kind of it was all lies. I mean, he's not the mayor didn't actually do anything wrong, and 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 stuff like that. It, kind of, it took away from that, and kind of just made him another standard villain. I mean, he even lost his mark at the end, and he just kind of became another person. He didn't really stand out at the end of it. I felt. I recently saw this movie, and I think that Dustin mentioned it at one point earlier. When it's I was actually, Mike. 
<laughs> no, I still can't believe he mentioned that. There's a good story there, Stella. That's what Dustin said. Um, no, now I've lost, what is it called? I'm thinking, oh, now you see it. Okay. That's what it's called, right? Or is it now you see me? me. There we go. Uh, Number one, it's an amazing movie. I recommend it. You should also pay attention. But so I don't want to spoil the movie, um, but just the thought of a son really making up for something that happened to his father is, is something that that drives it. And I really felt that at the end of this issue. But for me, it, it almost like that plot detail, like just happened in this issue. Whereas just like Joe was saying, I thought it was really cool how he was this anti-hero um, and really going against like these crummy guys, but doing it the way that, I mean, a little heavy, you know, Punisher style or a Red Hood style. But then all of a sudden we get this other twist. Um, so it was very, it was a, it was a different way. And, and I almost think, I don't know if the story benefited from it or not. Um, I mean, Joe, what do you think would have happened if they just left that detail out about his father? Do you think that it would have been a better story? Would you have liked it better if they would have continued with this anti-hero theme or what do you think? I, well, that's difficult because I think I would have, but then you know, I it would be a completely different ending. So I, this is the ending to this arc, um, and it, it I think it, it's weird because it kind of changed what the character was kind of initially promised to be, or or kind of was hinted at being, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I I think it would have been more interesting to carry on in that vein, but then it wouldn't be the character we ended up with, you know, because it kind of it changed so much in this last issue. It's like, oh, actually, forget all that. This is the actual character. This is why he's doing everything. That I, I can't even really picture what that storyline we missed out on is. The thing with this was, I, I thought that you know, it what it did seem a little bit rushed. I'm not real sure the exact reason. I don't know if it's because we're going to start seeing some of the effects of Forever Evil in this series, um, but it did seem a little bit rushed. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. The other thing I wanted to talk about is kind of uh, the the end of the issue. It kind of hints at a number of different things that could be happening in the future with this storyline, with the, uh, the reveal that Tony Zuko is no longer, you know, he's done a complete 180 in a matter of seconds because he finds out his wife, which he finds out his wife is going to, is filing for a divorce, but somehow just a piece of paper proves this. Um, and then he says he's going to be Tony Zuko from now on. And okay, fine. And then the other reveal of the police officer who is all against heroes being the person who's actually been killing the heroes. Those are two story elements that they're kind of hinting at are going to pick up in the future. So do either one of those really make you really excited about what's to come with Nightwing? I didn't enjoy the end of the Zuko storyline, that aspect of it, because I kind of found myself like kind of against my not better judgment necessarily, but like I, I thought I was going to really dislike this storyline, but I kind of felt, found myself warming to Zuko. Um, I think just because of how genuine he seemed with his family and stuff. And like, it looked like he genuinely had kind of moved on and matured and, and like, okay, I've got a family now. You know, I really, I genuinely regret everything that I did and, you know, I, I want to make up for it. And then to kind of throw that all away, it was a bit like, I, you know, I don't really care. I didn't want to see the character in the first place. It started kind of making me go, okay, so there was a point in this. It actually kind of, you know, it, some good came out of it. 
And now to kind of throw it all away again, I I don't want to see this character again. As for the other storyline, I had no idea who that character was at the end. So I thought he was talking to that hero and the, and this guy was looking at his costume fondly of, of old times. I didn't realize it was relating back to the, that, that he was the guy who was killing heroes. So yeah, that, that kind of seemed to come out of nowhere for me, I think, because it was a storyline that kind of got forgotten a bit. Um, it's, but it is one that I'm interested in, in seeing, especially from the opening scene of when we first saw it. I think it, it looked really, interesting but we've kind of moved on from it but if we go back to it i think it would be interesting to see you know i feel like i i can't put my finger on it but i feel like we've seen something like this before perhaps in a movie or most likely a tv show where we've had this bad guy and he he made a change for the better he decided to be you know quote good per- person end quote and then like something happens and he's like you know what no good deed goes unpunished. This is, I'm done with this. I'm going back to the way I used to be. And I, I think this is really what, what has happened with Tony Zuko, just with that swift change. My name's not Bobby, it's Tony, or whatever his original name was. Um, am I excited to have this guy back? Uh, not necessarily. I think it's, it was really interesting in the fact that he was this kind of good person and you had Nightwing with him and Nightwing has to battle these feelings that he obviously has for him. And then you have Tony actually save Nightwing. And I think that would have been a, a much better story to go with than just go back to the easy, um, drawing board of hey he's a bad guy because to have this conflict internal conflict within nightwing i think would have been a great character builder so i'm sad that that happened you know poor michael uh because he i don't think he sees it yet but he's really being used and i always had this kind of bad feeling this icky feeling about this reporter guy that he, he was working with and now it's sort of all coming to a head and i didn't recognize the costume perhaps it was because it's been a while since we've seen that particular villain. Um, but so thank you to, to Dustin for bringing that up in his summary there. But I think that this guy is probably going to make Michael do a bunch of things that is going to lead to um, the downfall perhaps of, you know, Nightwing to a certain uh, um respect or to maybe other heroes if they start coming out of the woodwork and then Michael's going to realize what has happened. Uh, so I'm a little fearful for his character just because I think he's about to go through some some tough times. But I'm very much excited to see that maybe we have a good um, steadfast status quo right now. And this was something that I talked to Kyle Higgins about at San Diego Comic-Con, just the fact that, you know, we had the train uh, with the circus and we had amusement mile and now we're in Chicago and, and I just really wanted some consistency. Just let him stay in one place for a while. Let him build up some minor characters, have a good cast that he can build relationships with and see where it goes. And I think we're really leading that way. And I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of <laughs> potential for great stories if we don't move again for a little while. All right. So, Nightwing number 24, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I will give Nightwing a total of three out of five batterings. And I will third that with, oh wait, 3.5, 3.5 out of five batterings. All right. So, that's going to give Nightwing number 24 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. So, we've been to our last book, Forever Evil Arkham War number one.
This is the third of Carmine Falcone's thugs you've had declared insane and moved into your asylum. The work offered by organized crime must have an attraction to the insane. Forever Evil, Arkham War number one, written by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Scott Eaton. The issue opens with Detective Pierce telling Commissioner Gordon about Bane's break-in at Blackgate as they look out over the city in despair before we cut to Gotham Memorial Hospital, or Professor Pig's territory. Back to his old self, Pig is busy mutilating bodies before Scarecrow shows up, continuing his story from the Villains Month one-shot. Back in Back 8, Bane is killing everyone he can get his hands on, working his way to a hidden vault where he finds his prize, the Frozen Talons. We then see Scarecrow with Penguin, who is apparently the new mayor of Gotham. It was Penguin responsible for dividing Gotham up into its new territories, so when Scarecrow asks him for help with Bane, Penguin is irritated and says that everyone should be doing their part to stop him. But we do see, but we do see that he's destroyed all of Gotham's bridges, cutting it off from the mainland. We then, come, we then cut back to Professor Pig in his operating theatre, who is attacked by Bane and left crippled, as we see Bane's soldiers attacking each territory with high-tech weaponry. First thing I'd like to ask is, do you think that this was a decent start i mean do you feel lost at all or do you think that the the villains month one shots kind of tied into us and and helped you understand where we are or do you think you could pick this up not reading any of those i for me personally the bane villains month was really the one that helped me because i think without knowing what bane was doing what led him over here and why he's got it out for scarecrow i think then you would be somewhat lost it was already this issue i mean it wasn't an easy issue i think to get through because there were a lot of things that were going on and especially with professor pig um and where his allegiances lie but um maybe you could get through it on your own but really i think the villains month especially bane uh, really cemented this um, base understanding of what was happening. I think Bane and Scarecrow, the Scarecrow one too, uh, you know, those two probably focus a lot on what was going to happen in this issue more than any of the other ones. Um, but I don't feel as if I needed to read the Villains Month issues to know what's happening here. Um, if I, I should say, okay, so if I go back to August, um, the pages of Talon, um, Bane was about to head towards Gotham City to start some war, regardless of what was going to happen with Forever Evil or Forever Evil Arkham War or Villains Month at all. That's what he was doing. That's and it's been set up like that for a couple months before that. So, if I read Talon, I would know why Bane was coming to Gotham City. Um, as far as any kind of other knowledge, I I mean, there's there's little bits and pieces here and there that kind of have helped to explain some things, but I don't really feel as if, if I didn't read any of those books, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know what's going on. So I feel like it's fine. Um, the, 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 the true disconnect for me is the fact that this is taking place while everything else is happening normally in all of the other Batman books. That's the biggest thing that that's kind of the disconnect for me. That's strange to me, the fact that, because I'm not reading Talon, the fact that this has kind of been planned for months now, and maybe that's something that, because I think there was a mention to, I don't know why Bane wants Gotham so bad, and maybe it's just the timing that, you know, this would have happened regardless, but they've managed to tie it into this, um, this threat of evil event. Um, I didn't feel too lost reading this, um, I, I think because of the Scarecrow one mainly, but 
yeah, I didn't. I don't really get Bane's motivation, so maybe that's something I should. Unless you guys could tell me what what that's so about. So basically, all that's really happened in Talon is that uh, Bane has been portrayed as this person who has basically decided that it's kind of as if Bane is a Ra's al Ghul type figure where he wants to basically eliminate a civilization that is corrupt and basically killing themselves. And he is, he's created this war to go to Gotham to basically take the city over because it has fallen so far down and it's unsavable. So he is going to go there. And in the meantime, he's going to take out Batman because he's convinced that Batman is really one of the main causes of why Gotham is the way it is. And that's why he was planning on doing this. He was being funded by the former grandmaster of the court of owls to go there and to do this because the Grandmaster wanted to also take out the Court of Owls because he wants to be able to have the Court of Owls to himself. So that was the whole idea. But then the last issue, the Grandmaster was killed by Bane and a person from the... And this was the thing that didn't make any sense when we discussed this uh, when we talked about... I can't remember which episode it was, but when whenever we talked about I think it was the Bane one, which was 124.4... There was a, a point at the very end of Talon number 10, I believe it was, whatever issue was in August. That issue, or I, it had to be 11, uh, that issue actually had Bane um, being approached by someone who, which appeared to be they were somebody from the Secret Society. It never really showed any resolve in anything that we saw in any of the villain mo- Villains Month issues, and it was never really explained of why, why he killed the Grandmaster was interested in the society, but now here we are in Forever Evil of Arkham War and Forever Evil, and Bane has nothing to do with the Secret Society, and now he's going to take out all these villains. There's a huge disconnect from what actually happened in, in Talon to what's happening now, as far as that goes, but for the most part, it was just set up that he was going there to take Gotham before all of the Forever Evil stuff happened. Yeah, that does seem a bit strange. Especially the fact that Batman is kind of, at least to, in their minds, is kind of dead. <laughs> then. He seems to, yeah, he also seems to have some sort of, um, and maybe Dustin would be able to explain this, but does he have some sort of grievance against the, uh, the court? The court of, cause he always mentions them, like in every breath. If he talks about Batman, he also talks about the court of owls. So what is that egged on by? Well, the, the, the grievance, the only grievance that was ever shown that he would have towards the Court of Owls was the fact that the Court of Owls was similar to Batman where they could be the ones that are controlling the way Gotham actually is. Okay. And then the fact that he was linked to the Grandmaster, the former Grandmaster who also wanted to take out the Court of Owls. Like the problem is if you read all the Talon, you read the few issues that tie into Arkham War and you read this, there's a huge problem with like the consistency of the characters because Bane, even though he's portrayed pretty much similar, there's these big things where it's like he he's obsessed with the Court of Owls here and he keeps mentioning the Court of Owls, but yet because he's not with the grand the former Grandmaster who is bankrolling his entire operation anymore, why does he why does he care? It didn't make it doesn't make any sense. Do you think Talon is going to pop up in this Arkham War side series? Well, who knows? Because the the last issue of Talon also focused on the fact that Batman was being introduced be in Gotham City, 
And, th- and this is the problem that, that, that this is the huge problem. Okay, so Batman was being introduced as a character who is going to keep the people that uh, Calvin Rose, um, you know, it, you know, is is basically his family, not his real family, but his adopted family, uh, family, Casey Washington, and her daughter. Batman was going to 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 try to keep them safe from the Talons, even though Batman was under the assumption that the Talons were no longer around. The Court of Owls was dismantled as it was shown. Everything changed, so Batman is now in this place where he was never having... He didn't think the Court of Owls had anything to do with Gotham City anymore. Now he knows they do. Now he's going to be keeping them safe, or keeping uh, the Washingtons safe for Calvin, and Calvin is supposed to come back to Gotham City and future solicitations tell us that Batman is going to be teaming with talent. So we go from a normal story that would work fine to Bane breaking off to this, this Arkham War storyline and having nothing to do with Talon because how could they have Batman being a character in the pages of Talon if Batman is supposedly missing in the pages of Forever Evil Arkham War? The, the problem is that there's, there's two writers and they're trying to, it really seems like Tinian was trying, was, was wanting to use Bane, was using Bane and figured, and, and DC maybe told him, well, this is what we're doing with Bane with in Arkham War. Maybe you can try to set this up. That's what he did, but now there's this huge problem where the book has been focusing on Bane for months, and how can they really address Bane being in Gotham City if Batman is also in Gotham City in the pages of talent? So, like, there's a huge problem with what's happening in the book. Uh, not so much here. I mean, like, I don't really have any problems here. It really just comes across as the setup for this series is kind of lacking because it doesn't make a lot of sense of why stuff is the way it is. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure why this series is even happening either. To be honest. My understanding is, uh, the crime syndicate kind of said, right, all of you Batman villains try and take over Gotham. That's your territory now. And then, the rogues kind of have, I guess, a central city, maybe Keystone City. I'm not, I'm not 100, percent but you know, it's them kind of going like, "Hey, on, I'm not sure, 100 percent sure, I agree with these guys." And it's kind of like, so, I guess it's all just kind of expanding the universe of this event. But it's strange that it kind of manages to tie in in at least some way, even if it's kind of convoluted. So, I don't know. Maybe it will make more sense down the line. But this first issue, it felt a bit. It felt like a continuation of those one-shots, I felt. Alright, so Forever Evil Arkham War number one, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. I agree, two and a half out of five batterings. I will third that sentiment, 2.5 out of five. Alright, so that's going to give Forever Evil Arkham War a total of two and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Let's throw over to John with Bat Books for Beginners.
and welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I am your host, John, and this week we are continuing our look at Batman No Man's Land series, continuing working through Volume 1. And this episode, we are covering Detective Comics 731, Asriel, Agents of the Bat 52, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 171, and Batman Shadow of the Bat 85. This features writing by Devin Grayson, Dennis O'Neill, and Ian Edgington. It also features art by Dale Eaglesham and Roger Robinson and Disraeli. So, a bit of a recap before we delve into Detective Comics 731. Last time out, Scarecrow had created a situation where Father Chris, who runs a refugee centre, was caught between a gang of false faces and people trying to defend the refugee centre using the guns which were stored there because Father Chris had made a deal with the Penguin. It is here that we open with a gunshot ringing out. However, it is not Father Chris who has been shot, but a false facer who was shot by one of Penguin's goons arriving to retrieve the guns that are stored there. However, the refugees run inside and Father Chris is taken captive. Huntress tells them not to fight and that she will try and defuse the situation. Meanwhile, the police are moving up to help the refugee centre. Whilst this is happening, Huntress tries to rescue Father Chris, and at the same time, Scarecrow tries to encourage the refugees to attack the Penguin's goons. However, it turns out that one of the false faces is not dead, and tries to take out the Penguin's goons. However, he is shot, but in him being shot, it allows Huntress and Father Chris to escape. It transpires that it was in fact Batman who was dressed as the false facer, and he takes down Penguin's goons. Meanwhile, the refugees turn on Scarecrow before being stopped by Huntress, who convinces them to forgive Scarecrow instead. And the issue ends with Scarecrow saying that he no longer exists, and Helena being accepted by Batman as Batgirl and being shown one of his headquarters. Asriel opens with a woman trapped on a roof. Below, there is a cannibal in a hole. We then move to Nick Scratch, who convinces the police that they will take him to Gotham. Nick Scratch is, of course, being watched by Asriel, who is approached by a lady to try and help find her daughter, who is currently trapped. Asriel agrees, and they sneak onto the police boat. It transpires that the woman is not alone trapped on the roof. She is with her boyfriend, who is a complete jerk. He, thinking that the cannibal has gone, climbs down from the roof. However, it turns out the cannibal hasn't gone, and the boyfriend is killed. Nick Scratch lands in Gotham, but is attacked by people who want to use the boat. However, he's saved by Azrael, and Nick Scratch escapes. Meanwhile, the cannibal has found a way up onto the roof, and is about to kill the girl, when he is attacked by Azrael and defeated. And the issue ends with the mother and daughter being reunited. Batman Legends of the Dark Knight opens with Batman taking out a gang. He marks the block as his. It then moves to Jim Gordon and the Gotham Central Police Department trying to take a gang's territory. It goes wrong, but they are saved by Sarah Essen and more police. We then move to Penguin, who is running an exchange system. 
where people can swap stuff for things that they need. However, two people are caught making a bad trade. However, rather than kill them, Penguin says that the man will entertain them. We then come back to Jim Gordon, who is in the morgue when he talks to a hidden voice. It then moves back to Penguin, who, for the purposes of entertainment, has organised a fight between a group of volunteers and a man named Dozer. However, this is crashed by Batman. Shadow of the Bat opens with Batman declaring that it is his city to Penguin and the crowd, and he instead takes the men's place in the fight. Meanwhile, the gang that Jim Gordon were fighting were destroyed by a mysterious assailant who paint the tag of the Gotham Central Police Department onto the building. However, it works as a number of gangs put themselves under the Gotham Police Department's protection and it expands their territory peacefully. Batman continues to fight for Penguin's amusement and slowly people start to bet against Penguin, meaning that if Batman wins, Penguin will lose everything that he has. This forces Penguin to negotiate with Batman, and the issue ends with Batman reassuring Batgirl that he's still alive. So, overall, I'm going to kind of tackle the issues individually. I thought the end to Fear of Faith by Devin Grayson was quite disappointing. I thought that it was a rather convoluted end, and it seemed very rushed in places, as if Devin Grayson had only kind of just realised that there are four issues and that she had to cover it in these four issues and that was all that she was allotted and I think that really what she was trying to do was to tell a story that really would have stretched a little bit longer and perhaps could have gone on a little bit longer actually I think that there wouldn't have been a harm in maybe stretching this to five or six issues and telling the story then I don't think I would have got bored of it because I quite enjoyed it as a whole story although i am often negative on a lot of stuff that devon grayson does i thought this one was was quite good the only major issue i had was with huntress's character she doesn't really seem to do anything through the entire thing apart from kind of saying scarecrow's a bad guy scarecrow's a bad guy scarecrow's a bad guy scarecrow's a bad guy And that was it. I would have much rather have had this be Helena's story about her trying to convince Batman that she can work with him, that she can help him, that she's worth having around. I didn't really feel that that came across in this story. However, it was quite enjoyable, mainly from the point of view of the refugees rather than actually a Batman-focused story. Asriel, I thought, was the best out of all four of the stories. It's quite dark, it's quite creepy. Although, again, it seems a little convoluted in places, the woman just approaching Asriel, presumably no idea who he is, but because he's in a cape and mask, he must be a good guy, because you can't have bad guys in capes and masks, apparently. And I kind of thought that it was a little bit silly in that, its places. It's nice to have the world's most useless supervillain back in Nick Scratch. Again, doing nothing in the story apart from going into Gotham, which I'm sure will be exciting at some point, maybe. But I did think that actually the story of the cannibal was quite nice and quite scary, and it was nice to see Asriel saving ordinary people and doing a bit more work rather than just kind of trailing around trying to find Nick Scratch like some kind of giant treasure hunt. 
I thought, however, that the the last two, bread and circuses, were the worst out of all four of the issues. The storyline, in my opinion, is ridiculous. I know it's comics, but there is a point where you kind of cease to believe the things that are going on, and I certainly didn't believe that this was a realistic storyline or a story that I could think, yeah, this kind of has some merit going for it. It really doesn't. The artwork, I'm not a fan of. It's that cartoony kind of style that kind of works in certain situations, mainly in children's comics. And I don't think it works here at all. I'm not a massive fan of it. And I find it really awkward and weird. And I dislike how people are drawn in that kind of style. I think that there are a lot of issues with that. As I said, the story is really convoluted and ridiculous. I don't quite understand why Batman would take these people's place and fight the Penguin's goons. Why didn't he just take them out? Why didn't he just frankly wait until the Penguin was alone, break in and go, if you don't do what I tell you, I will come and get you. Which is frankly the tactic that he's taken with a lot of other situations and probably would have worked. Penguin's not known for being a fighter when confronted by batman he tends to be a coward and he tends to just give up so i think it would have been better if that was the scenario that happened and that actually we had something else i got the feeling that this is setting up something mainly through the storyline that's coming with jim gordon and him having somebody take out a group of gangs that he didn't authorise and doing it in a way that he wouldn't do and there's that mysterious voice, we assume it's Batman it's probably not going to be it will be interesting to see where that goes but I think it was setting all of that up more than it was trying to tell a decent storyline and frankly I think I would have rather they had set it up and done it as Jim Gordon trying to deal with that situation, encountering those scenarios, and deciding whether that method would be something that actually it gets results, as we see in the storyline, and questioning whether maybe he should use it more. Maybe he should listen to Foley and take Foley's approach from it and to see the conflict between those two characters and also the conflict within Gordon, which we didn't really see. And that made it much more disappointing because it was stuck behind this stupid batman story so overall i'm going to give these stories two and a half out of five batarangs i think they're saved very much by fear of the ending of fear of faith which i don't think is terrible and by the asriel storyline which i think is definitely the best out of the four although i'm not gonna lie it's probably not that strong the other two are incredibly disappointing and I wouldn't bother. I think because it comes as part of the trade paperbacks, you're going to have to read it anyway. But if you're going to look at picking these issues up individually, I think these are, to be honest, ones that you could skip and not miss anything really majorly important. So that's my review of those four issues of Batman's No Man's Land. You'll be pleased to know that we are heading our way up to the end of volume one and we'll soon be moving into volume two so next episode i will be taking a look at batman issue 565 detective comics 732 
The Batman Chronicles, number 16, and Asriel, Agent of the Bat, 53. So, thank you very much once again for listening. If you have any comments, do feel free to post them in the section under this podcast, or alternatively under the Comic Cast feed. I always appreciate your feedback and comments and concerns, and it's nice to know that you're out there listening. Thanks very much once again for listening, and now I hand you back over to Dustin and the... Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you check out the website for the Bat Books for Beginners feed if you want to catch up on some of the other uh, books that John has covered. Um, there's a separate feed for all of the episodes for not only John's, but also previously Nick reviewed as well. So if you're interested in that, be sure to check out that. Also leave comments for Bat Books for Beginners on the website under that separate feed. <laughs> So that's going to take us straight into listener Q&As. Uh, we do have a ridiculous amount of listener Q&As, mostly because it's been a month since we've really talked about some of the main Bat books, um, as most of the comments that we talked about during the Villains Month were related to Villains Month. So we've got a couple of different emails and a bunch of different comments, so we're going to try to breeze through some of these and uh, other ones we'll spend a little bit more time on. But uh, first off, uh, this uh, this comment was posted on episode 123. It comes from Terry. He says, hey guys, I know that you may not get to this question for a while, given that you are going to be spending some time doing the Villains Month reviews. But I just wanted to say that I really like the Batman Incorporated special number one. I've always liked the issues that included lots of short stories, and it was lucky for me that I picked up this and Black and White number one on the same week. However, I also wanted to say that... It is what I wish Batman Inc. had been all along. Not necessarily several stories in one issue, but I wish it could have focused on more of the exploits of some of these heroes in arcs that would have not been that long. I understand that they need a story like the Leviathan arc to tie it all together and keep people interested, but I feel as the arc progressed, we saw less and less of the actual heroes in Batman Inc. that aren't part of the regular Batman family anyway. Also, a related question, not that I will... Not that I expect that we will, but if you could pick one or more of the Batman Incorporated characters to get their own books, or just ones you'd like to read more of, who would they be? So, Terry, the first thing I'd say is, uh, you know, I also like the the books that kind of do the the shorter arcs, and then it ties all together. Um, That's, you know, it's... In some regards, that that works well. In other, but it also matters how well the arcs are done. I think John Layman has been doing that really well, where he's doing a lot of these smaller arcs. And as we talked about during the review of Detective Comics, it seems as if he could be bringing them all together uh, to, to you know to combine his entire story that he's been telling. We've seen that a couple other times with writers. Um, one that it's not really working on is Batgirl, but I think that's more of everything that's happening in Batgirl and less having to do with the actual format of using a bunch, you know, doing a bunch of smaller story arcs and then bringing the characters together. Um, in regards to Batman Incorporated, if I was to pick a character, I thought that, uh, Night Runner would have been an interesting character. I liked what Kyle Higgins did in the backup stories and those annuals a couple years back. Um, I thought that the character could have been a really interesting character, specifically because instead of gliding around with, uh, you know, grapple guns 
and the technology he was using the parkour and stuff like that. So it, it was a kind of an interesting take. It was more of like a more physical uh, than technological character. Batwing was always the more tech, technology person. Um, El Gacha was more of the the brute of the bunch. Um, but I think that uh, Night Runner would have been a good one to focus on. But I think that uh, realistically, it's unlikely that obviously any of these are going to happen. I wish that they would have focused a little bit more on some of the like the uh, the the Batman Inc. member from Australia, Dark Ranger, because I didn't know a whole lot about them. Some of these other characters that they really just, you know, they were there to be there, but they never really focused or told much about their story. I wish they would have focused a little bit more on that. Yeah, I feel like the first, uh, the first volume of Batman Inc. kind of did that a bit more, exploring them. And yeah, it was kind of, oh, hey, let's team up for a storyline. Will you join Batman Inc. at the end of it? Yes, great. See you there. Um, but you still got to see a few more of the characters. Um, as for if I could only choose one, I'm going to cheat and and <laughs> say uh, I love Knight and Squire, and we got that mini series by them, which I thought was great. But now that he's dead, it might not be quite <laughs> as fun. Um, I, I do enjoy uh, Chris Burnham's take on Batman Japan. So if we could get some more stories of that kind of insane, Dustin would hate that. <laughs> I enjoyed that, um, but. I also like um, Man of Bats and Raven Red. And I think it's because it's kind of a culture that I'm not really, I don't, I'm kind of, I don't know much about, but the kind of, I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed their uh, arc in uh, volume one and just kind of, it, it interests me that kind of, you know, like, because it's still set in America, but kind of like another part of it, which, you know, being a foreigner, you kind of only ever hear about the one global industry kind of thing but uh I, night runner was also a very interesting character and like john said i kind of like the fact that it made all of the very right-wing people <laughs> angry when it came out um i came late in the game to all these characters so i don't know them as well i did i i you know there were some weird things and you know i still remember dustin shouting why is she called canary and have the canary like the same thing he was upset about that i i think that they they were a pretty fun team knight and squire which now i guess squire is the knight i think that would be fun and we saw in that that special that um she kind of has her own little gang now Oh, Bat Cow? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> it would have no dialogue at all. It would be the quickest read ever. You know, I love picture books, actually. You can create your own story in your mind. But actually, I would be super excited to read. This is going to be a completely different answer. To read an ongoing about that Leviathan school with all the crazy girls, the assassins, as well as the pop stars being the teachers. I actually think that that would be a great book. But actually, Image Comics already has such a book, and it is called Secret Weapons. Sorry, I had to think about that, which is created into an ongoing. So if you did, in fact, like that one issue, of course, Stephanie Brown was in there. I suggest going and picking up the miniseries, which will in January be a full-fledged series. All right. So the next comment we have also comes from Terry. This one was posted on episode 124.2. He said, also, I know this really isn't related to Villains Month, but I wanted to ask you this before solicitations for January come out. What do you think they will do for Detective Comics number 27? They just did the big 900th issue special last year, but 
This would be the number of the original introduction of Batman and the year that would be the 75th anniversary of the introduction. Certainly the connection shouldn't be lost on the editors. So do you think they will or do you think they should give us something special to mark the occasion? Well, as we talked about earlier in the in comic news, they actually are doing something. It's going to be a 104-page special. <gasps> um, and uh, we'll know more about this as after the solicitations come out. But I think that they're definitely they're making sure that they do this right. They they are not going to mess up the 75th anniversary of Batman. Uh, there's too much money for the pockets of DC Comics and Warner Brothers riding on the 75th anniversary and them overproducing a lot of stuff for them to mess it up. So I think that uh, you know D- Detective Comics 27 will actually probably be the point where they kick off the celebration of Batman's 75th anniversary because. Well, it's coming out in January, so why not make it a year-long occasion instead of six months like they did for Superman? So I think that uh, I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens in that issue if it ends up just being an oversized issue that is just written by John Lehman, and the entire issue is just wrapping up his story arc, and it's just the the special element of it is going to be the fact that it's going to be just a you know long story, or if it's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of stories in one, and then John Lehman's just part of that. All right, so then the next comments, they come from episode 124.4. Alex says, great episode. I'm sorry to hear about Don Lehman, but I'm glad to hear he's still sticking around. If it wasn't for the Batman universe, I would have stopped reading current comics long ago, so I can understand. However, if it wasn't for the New 52, I wouldn't have ventured out into reading other comics. If It's what drove me back to reading Marvel again, which I haven't read in a very long time. Listening to this podcast is what got me thinking more critically about what I was reading. While it makes me much, while it makes me see much more flaws than I would have noticed, you guys make me appreciate comics far more from both writing and art. I'm glad I dodged a bullet skipping out on the Joker's daughter issue, but I don't know how anything could get worse than that ventriloquist issue. But I'm assuming it's not worth finding out. I'm so happy to hear the vengeance of Bane love, whenever I faced hardships, I thought of vengeance of Ben and used it as a source of inspiration. Then he said uh, a couple days later, he posted, I just read Batman 24 and I really liked it. Actually, I think this week was great for comics. For those who might have fallen off Green Lantern because of the focus on Sinestro and Simon Baz, I would really recommend getting back into it because although I thought Jeff John's run was great, this is the first time I really like Hal Jordan's character. Because of Zero Year... What are some of your favorite stories going into Batman's origin? Especially, besides Year One, one of my favorites is Blind Justice. Yes, Batgirl Year One definitely is my my top origin story. Bat, the thing with Batman Year One is that it's more of a Jim Gordon origin story. And I feel like there are some other um, things out there that you can really get a sense of who... Batman is. I actually really love Speeding Bullets, which technically is a Superman origin story, but he's in the guise of uh, of Batman because it's the, it's basically a what if the Waynes had found him instead of the Kents. Um, so I guess as a weird off-world origin story, I would also say Speeding Bullets. First of all, I think it's a shame that you've had to go and start reading Marvel again, but um, I guess some of the quality of these DC books would do that to you, so I can't blame you. <laughs> there's, fully. there's good stuff over there. <laughs> I'm sure there is, Stella. I'm sure there is. <laughs> um, but as for Batman origin stories, um, 
maybe cheating because it's not a comic, but uh, Mask of the Phantasm, I think, is probably the best Batman film out there. I would say that uh, one of the ones that I really enjoy is uh, Batman Long Halloween. It's not so much of an origin story, but it does it does tell some. It, it is earlier in Batman's career. Um, Robin Year One is also a pretty good one. I don't think it gets a lot of. It doesn't get a ton of credit um, out there for the origin of Dick Grayson, but I think it does a really good job of telling the story that one way or the other has been told numerous times before the actual that actual uh, collection was written. But I think that it is another real good one that. You know, it's pretty good as far as telling a, a complete story that's not just this is how this person became who they are. Um, so I think that that's another good one, too. All right, so that is all the comments we have from the website. I do have a ton of emails to go through because uh, some of them were sent uh, last month and then some of them just sent within the last couple of days. So uh, the first one comes from Corbin. Now, you'll remember Corbin, a couple episodes, we talked about some of his questions, or we asked him a number of questions that he asked us, and uh, he wrote back and answered our questions. He says, hey, guys, try to get back with the answer to the questions that you presented to me as soon as I could. I apologize if I missed any, and if I did, let me know. I, uh, Dustin asked, do I read physical comics or digital? He answered, all of my ongoing stuff I have in physical form, Batman, uh, Nightwing, Green Arrow, Flash, etc. There have been a few things that I have picked up on digitally just because it happened a year or so ago, and it was a dollar on Comixology. Then Dustin asks, what did I like in the backup of Batman number 23 that I liked more than any of the other backups? He answered, you guys got me thinking about this one, and I realized that there were very good backup stories in the Court of Owls story that I was not thinking about. I have a, I have that story in trade format, and it's been a while since I've read that. Plus, they are all hard to find where one month stops and the next starts back up. So it's hard for me to compare, but I will tell you what I liked about number 23. Here, you have someone who is training Bruce to go against the boundary that he has set for himself, saying he has to kill in order to succeed. Because he won't kill, the fight has gotten gone on much longer than it should. And it looks though it will never be, it will be a never ending battle as we get that same feeling from the comics. But Bruce unrelentingly nature, unrelenting nature won't let him give in and he fights so hard for so long that no one will dare come at him again. As soon as Bruce accomplishes this, he passes out from exhaustion. I can just see from that being the finality of Batman's war on crime where he has become such a legend and so much more than human to where Gotham's criminals won't dare to go against him anymore. Then, as soon as he has accomplished what he has dedicated his whole life to, he has no time to enjoy it. To me, this backup didn't so much add to the story itself, but it summarizes and expands on the mythos of Batman in a beautiful, poetic way. Then Joe asked, Have I read Year One? He answered, I have read Year One, just recently actually. It was probably two or three months ago, about the same time as Zero Year started, I guess. My friend had that book and was generous enough to let me borrow it for a while. I absolutely loved Year One and agree that it will always be a definitive Batman origin story. Whereas I guess I view Zero Year as not a separate universe, but as an altered timeline because of the Flashpoint slash Final Crisis where similar familiar things can happen, which may not change how you view the New 52. And Snyder can use that as a way of paying homage to key moments that have been engraved in Batman's mythos, and pass those same points on to the next generation of readers. 
Thanks for letting me, uh, asking me the questions. I love having a part in my favorite podcast and I look forward to listening to your new episode. Well, Corbin, I appreciate you answering our questions. Uh, quite honestly, your, your, your synopsis of, uh, the backup in 23 is giving me a completely different light to look at it in. And I honestly, I can appreciate from, I can appreciate your view on it and it makes perfect sense. And I know I didn't really view it like that. And that's probably why I had such a problem with it. So I think that, uh, you, you raise a really great point and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that's the case. Um, the one last question I guess we, we may have asked, but we, or, or, and you missed it or we didn't ask was, the one question I'd like to know is, uh, how long have you been reading Batman books? You mentioned that you just read, uh, Batman Year One a couple months ago. Um, you may have said this in a previous message and I'm just forgetting because it's been a while, but have you been reading the books since the New 52 started or have you been reading the books before that? Because I'm just curious to know where, uh, you know, and this has nothing to do with your, your, uh, your, your, your synopsis of 20, uh, the backup of Batman 23. I'm just curious as a, uh, listener, whether or not you're a new reader with the new 52 or whether or not you're a reader from pre new 52 and how you could, and if you are a new reader, um, and you've read some of the stuff pre new 52, how you would compare the two, or if you are an old reader, how you compare the two as well. So I appreciate you taking the time to answer all your questions. Uh, and it's great to, to know a little bit more information. And I really enjoyed your, uh, your take on that backup in Batman 23. Yeah, definitely. I think what this shows is that our listeners can be a lot more open-minded than us because I think we're all pretty, okay, no, 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 no. Um, I think what I remember saying about that backup is it doesn't really hold true to what actually happens because Batman can punch the Joker in his stupid face as many times as he likes, but he always comes back. But I think what you're getting at is it's more of a, a ideological thing in that. And, and the, the, how you explained, you know, him fainting at the end, I think was, uh, a really amazing analogy, something that I missed, but kind of wish I had the intelligence to have seen at the time. I I was the one person who liked that backup, so I just say that I, I was right all along. All right, just yeah, <laughs> jump on Corbin's bandwagon. All right. <laughs> all right, next, uh, this is an email from Charlie. He says, hey, TBU crew, I just listened to your la- latest few episodes of the comic podcast while at work, and I just wanted to say that you are always so fun. I just wanted to comment on a point you brought up about how the DCU seems to be so dark lately, especially the Batman family books. I totally agree. I don't know if it's just an issue with the New 52, but so many of the books are depressing to read. There is almost no joy anymore. It's all violence, blood, and sadness. It's all for this kind of stuff that there has to be some happiness, too. Otherwise, the DCU seems like a terrible place to live. Without some joy, then there is no point of having sadness or drama. I miss fun books like the Stephanie Brown Batgirl series. (laughs) I love Little Gotham too. You should totally consider reviewing it. It is one of the best books DC has right now, Batman or otherwise. Plus, I know Don is a fan of Cass and Stephanie, not to spoil anything, but there is a situation that may have been addressed in issue 15. Also, you may see them in, in the issue as well. Anything, anything we can get at this point is great. The comics part of the DC of DC should take a tip from the animation side of DC Warner Brothers, Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, Green Lantern, the animated series Young Justice, Ben Brave and the Bold, and DC Animated Universe Timverse. And even the Batman are all so much funner than the comics are. And I'd be willing to bet that more people are familiar with those versions of the characters rather than the comic versions. The live action movies could take a note from them too. Animation seems to be 
the one area that DC consistently does better than any other company, which is weird now that Marvel is owned by Disney. Animation is pretty much Disney's thing. It's a real tough testament. It's a real testament to see a series strength when the DCAU can last from 1991 to 2006 and have one giant interconnected continuity. That seems to be what Marvel is doing now with their movies. Also, how is Josh? He was always awesome. Anyways, thanks for the great podcast and keep up the great work. Well, uh, I can tell you that Josh is alive and kicking. Uh, we, we do talk to Josh every once in a while and, uh, he does occasionally go to some conventions for us. Um, some of the smaller conventions near his area to get, uh, promos for us and things like that. Um, there was a point, I believe it was back in May, uh, an interview that, uh, was posted up at Free Combo, uh, around, or that, that Josh did with Gail Simone on Free Combo Day. So, um, Josh is still around. He just isn't as, as involved as he once was, mostly because of his distaste for the comics, but, uh, it's understandable. All right. So next up, Ryan says, Hello all, I know we're busy reading Villains Month, but there was something that brought up that was brought up on the previous podcast regarding Scott Snyder's retreading on Batman Year One, and there's been something that I've been thinking about on it for a while. I know that when DC Comic releases their information on their upcoming books, it's not always 100% reliable, especially concerning upcoming story arcs such as Batman Zero Year. However, I wanted to bring up a few things that have helped me cope with the many changes to continuity. Yes, I too am one of the fans who is a hardcore into keeping things straight and in line. First off, I think that I think about Crisis on Infinite Earths. The story like Flashpoint stirred things up within the DC universe, causing radical changes in continuity. It results include Batman Year One, as well as reboots of many DC characters like Wonder Woman and Superman. Additionally, the continuities of Earth Ones and Twos were merged together. Some events happened as always. Some happened, but with different outcomes, and some didn't happen altogether. The only difference I find between this event and our own New 52 is that DC gave us the reason that these Earths had merged together, creating a new one. It was no longer Earth 1 or Earth 2, just Earth, or post-Infinite Crisis, New Earth. What I find is that DC made the error in saying that, at least in Batman's case, almost all of the previous stories happened. And it wasn't until we progressed into this new universe that we found out things were different. The absence of Cassandra Cain and Stephanie Brown, Tim being called Red Robin from the beginning, etc. Would it not have been easier to accept us if they told us that what they were ha- what was happening was on a new Earth, separate from the previous modern timeline, Earth 8 perhaps, or any number really? Would this simple bit of information have made us, made all the changes easier to swallow? I think so. And this is what brings me to my email. To me, these events of the New 52 take place on a separate Earth, not the same that Barry Allen left at the beginning of Flashpoint, but a brand new one that we are only now exploring. Everything seemed the same at first, but now we find the difference, uh, now we find the differences and change bubbling to the, and changes bubbling to the surface. I also think about the fans of the gold, silver, and bronze ages that had their continuities wiped out and replaced with Batman Year One is not what happened is is this not what happened to us with flashpoint i guess we now know how some of these fans may have felt post crisis on infinite earth i don't know if this makes any sense but personally it allows me to handle the changes they make they keep making so i want to get your opinions and see what you think you guys are all doing an excellent job on the podcast keep up the amazing work ryan well I think that that actually probably does make a little bit sense. The problem is that the this this is the big problem. 
because they made the comments about the fact that all Batman stories happened and nothing's changed, you know, there's not any, you know, they all still happen. Nothing's, nothing's changed. And now here we are two years in and they're retreading year one. And, you know, this isn't the first time that they've retreaded some stuff that's happened in the past. They've done, it really seems as if they've laid out a number of different things that they need to get across because there's new readers. The problem is that, yes, it probably would be a little bit easier to swallow if they just said, this is, you know, not necessarily this is a different Earth, but time has changed. Everything is going to be different. We're going to retell the origin of Batman. We're going to do this. But the thing is, I think the problem was that at the time, the Batman comics were doing really well. They were, out of all the books that DC had, if you took all of the Batman titles, that was what was carrying the majority of sales for the company, was the Batman books. So, you're gonna take, you're gonna take the, the fans who are, who've been paying money on a consistent basis, month in and month out, and say, hey, we're gonna change everything. I understand where they're coming from. I don't agree with it, but I understand where they're coming from because they didn't want to alienate all of the current Batman readers. The problem is that they ended up doing that anyway, and that's why there's so many people who were reading comics before, such as Josh, such as Don, who are so disassociated from the comics that they're currently publishing because there's so there's such a retread on stuff that's been done numerous times in the past with the you know the definition of this is what the new 52 is. The problem is that that's not what they decided to do up front. They decided to say, no, you know, we've got a good thing going with the Green Lantern books. We're not going to change a whole lot of stuff. We've got a good thing going on with the Batman books. We're not going to change anything. And realistically, there was no way that they really could have done that. It was really just a way to try to keep the people who are buying books on a normal basis to keep buying the books. So in case the New 52 ended horribly, you know, or did horribly, I should say, and wasn't successful, they at least would be able to keep the similar things that were happening in the Batman books prior to the New 52, specifically so that the people who were reading the books and carrying the company with sales could, could continue to do it. So I think that's really what it came down to. Yeah, I, I understand your point, but I disagree about the different Earth, because if it was said that this is all taking place on a different Earth, I would just keep questioning why we're looking at this Earth and not the other one, when if it still exists, that's the one I'd want to be reading about. Um mm-hmm. I also think that DC could have done a better job in, in making it slightly more definite because it's always, I'm not sure if it's just kind of a slowly dying hope that this is all going to be a dream or something. But I, I think if they were more definite from the outset and said, right, this is happening. I mean, you know, this is the new 52. This is what's, is the continuity now. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I, sometimes as much as some of this pains me, like, it must have been so much worse for the people reading before Infinite Crisis and or Crisis on Infinite Earths and, and stuff like that. So I kind of I feel their pain now in some respect. Next up, this email comes from Sonny. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. If you've covered this already, I apologize. Can you explain to me how Batman's been operating for six years and has had four Robins? I'm relatively <laughs> new to the new fifty two and am confused. Thanks guys. Keep up the great work. Still, well Sonny, I'll just tell you this. There. Yeah, it refers Sonny, to. I'm, I'm, oh. Sonny, I, I'm not going to sit here and go in, into too length of a, uh, of detail on this. I can tell you that uh, John Roke, who is uh, producing Bat Books for Beginners, as well as myself, are working on a project with a website uh, to kind of lay out some of the possibilities of how this could work. Um, 
I, I can't, I can't honestly tell you when it's going to be. It, it probably isn't going to actually come out until after the new year. I will just say this. The, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's a lot of problems with the current six year timeline and how everything does work. Um, it is entirely possible that it does work, but the, the likelihood is that there's problems because of what we just discussed with Ryan's email where there's, they tried to incorporate too many things from, uh, pre new 52 to into the new 52 and it just doesn't work with their condensed storyline time frame. So, um, I will say just hold out for now. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you don't really have to worry a whole lot about Damien because Damien's gone and Tim's never really in the picture. So realistically, you just have to worry about, uh, Jason and, uh, Dick and they're not really in the picture either. So realistically, if you wait a couple months, you probably aren't going to be, it's not really going to be affected one way or the other. We'll just say that it is possible because pre new 52, it was a much longer time frame than six years. New 52, with them saying everything's only been six years, it doesn't necessarily work, but uh, that's just because DC is DC. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like it's one of those things you just kind of have to accept. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing this with it slightly more mapped out, but at the moment, I'm I'm just about okay going like okay well condensed timeline everything happened apparently in this amount of time all right and then our last email comes from charlie he says i just listened to the most recent comic podcast and i'm really sad to hear that donovan is leaving don you will be really missed you have a ton of charisma and you were always fun to listen to it seems so often that you are the heart of the podcast i wish you well are you on any other podcasts i know the of the next dimensions dragon ball z one i can see why you are disenfranchised from the Batman comics right now. I am too. I get most of my Batman fix through your podcast. I am like eight months behind on the Batman series of comics and in, in no real rush to read them aside from little Gotham, which is fun. Anyways, take care and have a great one, Charlie. So as a, D- Don does have a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Yeah, no, he's on Spider-Man Crawlspace. Clone Saga Chronicles, but I think that has like a very strange schedule, so it's not out all the time. And you can check out some. <laughs> this is weird. I know a lot of Don stuff. Uh, and you can check out some, I guess, back issues if you want to call it a Spider-Man Classics. Which, I mean, basically, if you're a Marvel person, then any of those recommendations you will enjoy. But if you don't, then I guess just stick with um, back issues of Batman Universe. And he pops on Batgirl to Oracle sometimes, and he'll still pop up there and. Dragon Ball Z. And Don is, like, like I said, Don is going to be producing all the episodes for the Batman Universe commentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're listening to this, actually, we just posted a, a commentary uh, a week ago that is the DC Comics, or the Robot Chicken DC Comics special where myself and Don did commentary for that. So Don's going to be doing a lot of the commentaries for the website as that is going to be his new baby now that he's no longer with the comic cast. So, uh, lots of different ways of, you know, keeping in touch. Obviously, you can still send us emails at podcast at thebamuniverse.net. Don will still see your responses if you are, if you want to get a hold of Don. Or if you have a commentary you'd like to request, you can always email us at podcast at thebamuniverse.net. And Don will take those, uh, you know, he's already creating a list. We're actually hoping to expand the commentaries a little bit more than what we have been doing. But I'll leave that for time. All right, so with that, that is all of the emails and comments we had on the website. So I want to remind everybody 
that if you have comments that you'd like read or you have questions you'd like answered here on the podcast, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast, and we will be sure to get those to those on the next episode. With that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics as well. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. As well as join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans about everything related to Batman and even some things that aren't related to Batman. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And of course, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. With that, I do want to remind everybody that uh, October is a five-month or five-Wednesday month, so the next episode will not post for three weeks from the time of this episode posting um, because Nightwing Annual is coming out on that last Wednesday, and for the Point Five cast, Teen Titans Annual number one is also coming out that, that Wednesday as well. So the last episode of this month will actually post a week later than normal, so see it. we'll see you guys back here in three weeks. So that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ty. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Uh, Don is going to be producing the commentaries for us on the website as well as doing some stuff over on the website. So we will miss Don, but at the same time, we will carry on as if he wasn't here. We will carry on as if he was here. Yeah, I was like, wait, what do you mean? Okay. <laughs> All right. You've got to so, be strong. <laughs> we're recording this podcast actually on Sunday, October 13th. You dated it. You always say don't date it. Yeah, I'm doing that specifically because I know solicitations are coming out tomorrow and normally we'd be able to talk about them, but we're not going to be able to. Um, And Honestly, I don't think we have to really argue about that. I mean, we can look at box office returns and compare Oh my gosh. Let's bring Michael Bailey on to fight you. (laughs) (laughs) At this point in time, all they know for sure is that several of the theft... Is that, is that several of the theft? <laughs> I've lost my place now. There's so much writing on this page. All right. Uh, I don't know. Stella, what else is he on? Well, he's on Spider-Man Crawl Space. <clears throat> uh. <laughs> what? Well, why would you ask me if you didn't want the answer? No, I do want the answer. Yeah, there you go. I... He's just hurt. He's hurt that you kicked him off the podcast. Because <laughs> he wasn't on Spider-Man Crawl Space before yeah. he got supposedly kicked off. Have a nice day.